kind of Welcome everyone to the Two Tongues Podcast. Consider this your invitation to join Kyle and Chris on a journey through our minds. Our minds! Where we explore the questions that have fascinated us for as long as we can remember. Could anarchy actually work? Does God exist? And just how did the cosmos get here anyway? Let me be the Virgil to your Dante, the Sacagawea to your Lewis and Clark. Let's take the guided tour through the dark chambers of our unconscious, seeking answers to the most important and unsettled questions of our shared existence. Ready or not, here we go. What's up, y'all? Hello, hello. Here we are. I'm just gonna let this. I'm just gonna let this amb- ambient music in the back. Can you can you sort of hear it still? Yeah, yeah. I, I wish it would go on longer. We should we should loop it. I mean, it's still going on. It is still going on. I don't know how long it goes. I don't know how long it we goes. We can just either. let it go and see what happens. All right, let's do it. So, exper- we're getting experimental with the uh, the intro here on the Two Tongues Podcast. Well, you got to you got to shake things up after a while because it's coming up on our one year anniversary, as it you is. were just saying. It is. Yeah, we're getting close. One year of the Two Tongues podcast, something like 100 episodes is what it's going to be. We should try to make it 100 episodes. What are we at? I can uh, check on my like, phone. It's like 86 or 7 or 8 oh, or something. But um, We're going to have a hard time getting to 100 in two weeks. That's true. If that's the case. We just have to put out a bunch of like nonsense. That's true. But um, 14 episodes of nonsense. <laughs> yeah, that's, that seems like a lot of work. I mean, I don't know. It, it, we could probably do it pretty easily, but... Do you have that level of nonsense in your bag of tricks? Oh, I've got way more nonsense than that. Here's what we do. We take our uh, remaining like four or five episodes, and we just we just break them up into 14 episodes <laughs> or something. Yep. Uh, no, we're not going to do that to you guys. Uh, but um, we, we, one thing I thought we might do is... Um, we should have a celebration. We should have an episode where we just bullshit and have a celebration. Maybe we can have some. Yeah. Maybe we can have different people on. I think that's a good idea. But listen, we'll do it. We'll do them by Zoom or we'll do them by uh, phone, and we'll just do mul- like not necessarily multiple people at once. We could, but just one after the other yeah, after yeah. the other. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think we should try to have one person in studio. I think that'd be cool. That would be cool. Yeah. Who's it gonna be? I don't know. I have to figure that out. Uh, our first person we had on was Corey, and he's been talking about coming on. He wants to co- he wants to talk about COVID, which is interesting because I don't fucking. I mean, I shouldn't say that I don't care about COVID, but I just like I don't watch the news at all anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't fucking I don't pay attention to any of it anymore. Yeah, good for you. Um, and he it's weird because Corey wants to talk about it now, and mm-hmm. like Corey was like that, like I am now his entire life basically. It's so pretty, it's just a weird, so- a weird flip around. So do you know why that's changed with him? Or? I think COVID. I think COVID is what, uh, understandably, Yeah. you know? Yeah, man. I um, I don't follow it too, too much, but what I do still do is in the morning I'll check the headlines, mm-hmm. and I do it on, um, I do it on uh, Google's top stories because that's, um, you know, it's, I want to say it's basically all the liberal headlines, but they mix in some of the other headlines, but mostly it's all the liberal headlines. And then I'll go to uh, some conservative sources and just see what the contrast is. And um, this is what I noticed recently. Um, there's like mixed 
signals about whether Omicron is something to worry about. It's like we all know at this point it's pretty much not something to worry about. Yeah. And so you'll see articles that say that. And then you'll see every now and then some, some other article says, you know, don't believe that it's mild. Everyone keeps telling you it's mild. Don't believe it. And then now they're, um, now they're saying, uh, oh, after Omicron's done, there's going to be a bunch of other variants to worry about. Yeah. And this is where my mind goes, man. When these variants, you know, this is, we, I guess we could save this stuff for Corey, but when the variants come out, when they, when they drop, when the tracks drop and they release the new variant, mm-hmm. it's completely up to the media. So it's like, I don't have any idea how, how quickly they mutate and whether there are other variants that exist right now, but it seems to me like that's almost 100% certain that that's, that that's the case. I think it is, yeah. But the media won't tell you that until there's some political reason to have an uproar, and then they'll say, you know, the theta variant's coming out. Mm-hmm. You know, the vampire variant's the coming vampire out. vampire variant. Yep. Fuck yeah. Yeah. That's cool, though. I mean, <laughs> can you become a vampire? That would be interesting. Would be. It'd be more interesting than anything else that's happened with this fucking virus. Um, you say... That like the media is kind of the the gatekeeper for that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's true. I think I remember one time there's this guy Joe that I used to work with, and he was very like he thought the coronavirus was being blown out of proportion somewhat, but he also thought that there was um, like legitimate threat. Sure, and I guess there is some, um, uh, but he, more so than. I, more than I would say there is, you know, even I who acknowledges, yeah, there's probably, I guess, a little bit of danger involved. There's a virus, you know, I I think that that's true. Um, but, uh, I remember, why did I bring Joe up? Uh, he's just like the, talking about the variants. So did his mind change about whether it was no, it never changed. I don't know. I can't remember why I brought him up, but he was just one of those guys that he's like a smart dude. But I just didn't agree. We just didn't agree on the coronavirus. Well, listen, it's, it could be easy to say that Chris sounds like a conspiracy theorist right now, saying that, that you know, when... Oh, I'm go sorry. Ahead. Yeah, go uh, ahead. I remember why I brought it up. It's because um, I think that all of this, way, right back up to the beginning, is, like, media-controlled. Because I remember one time I said to Joe, if you had not heard all of this on the news, uh, that you should be afraid of this... In your real life, in your day-to-day life, mm. would you have noticed at all that anything was different? And no. That's, like, a, that's a great point, man. I, it's like, it's really disheartening to me that people are, I mean, I think that all of these precautions, wearing masks, blah, 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 social distancing, um, if people were seeing in their day-to-day life that they needed to do that they would do it you know oh absolutely so absolutely uh, yeah yeah that's the thing man you don't have to force people to do something that's in their best interest Mm -hmm. you don't have to nope jesus but that's a good point man i was gonna say that like where do you hear about the updates with the virus you only hear about them from the media and you might wonder like um what where where else might you hear about it well i don't know man how about your doctor how about, how about your fucking doctor? Did your doctor bring it up to you? Mine didn't. Yeah. You know? I remember I went to the doctor right towards the beginning of all this for something unrelated. Um, no. I was worried about my high blood pressure. Uh, that it could be like, you know, they at first they were talking about comorbidities and mm-hmm. things like that. 
Uh, so I just wanted to go get my high blood pressure checked and the doctor didn't even put me on medicine. He was just like, try to lower it naturally. And if you can't, we'll put you on. Nice. Uh, but I remember the, like the nurse who interviewed me before, um, she was like, you want to get your blood pressure under control because of coronavirus, not because you could have a stroke, you know, (laughs) that's like, it was just like, she was like, it's a fucking joke. You know, she didn't say that, but I could tell through her tone. (laughs) It's like, you're worried about the wrong things. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, and yeah, and then further proof that, like I said, the doctor didn't even put me on anything. Mm. He was just like, try to lose some weight fatty. (laughs) So, so that is interesting. Like, so, okay. So you only hear about, you only hear about it from the media. You're not hearing about it from your doctor and you, and that maybe that's not unusual, but then you ask yourself, cause the media will have doctors on, Oh yeah. but it's not the doctors going to the media that says, Hey, can I get the story out there? It's the media going to the doctors to say, can, can you support my, my story? Right. And you, you know, you kind of halfway don't want to blame the media. Well, you do, but you don't because they're just trying to get ratings. So you understand what they're up to and fear is, is useful with that. But if you look at doctors that are putting the message out all by themselves without any financial incentives, people like Brett Weinstein and Heather, they're they're overwhelmingly conspiratorial, quote unquote conspiratorial, sure. because sure. they're because they're speaking, you know, c- contra to the narrative every single day. Yeah, you said that the media companies you can't really blame them because they're just trying to get ratings, but you can blame them because you know what would get ratings right now the truth or some at least some kind of a, a an attempt to uncover the truth somehow like i know the saying the truth is kind of a like the science yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> but like uh open discussion like really wanting to try to figure things out that would get ratings and it does get ratings and then these giant media corporations try to shut it down yep so. Like, like what's happening to the great Joe Rogan at the moment. First yeah. of all, that's going to get zero traction, zero traction. And if Spotify uh, should make a decision, which they won't, to censor Joe or take down episodes or to kick him off the platform, uh, that would be the biggest mistake that they could ever make. Fucking A. And I saw a meme today on Twitter that I loved, man. It was like uh, Joe, um, and he's talking to somebody. You just see the back of their head. So what they did was they put the CNN logo on the back of the guy's head that Joe's talking to and Joe's pointing at the guy and they put the little, they put the little word bubble in his mouth that says, I'm the mainstream now. (laughs) And that's the truth. Yeah, for sure. That's the truth. It's kind of scary in its own right, but it is kind of scary. The the other thing that, uh, that I want to mention that I've heard many times is that, uh, Viruses obviously mutate. That's normal. That's natural, especially when there's pressure on them to, to mutate, like, you know, people getting vaccines, let's say. Yeah. Um, and when they mutate, statistically, it's almost always the case that they get less contagious and less dangerous. Yeah. And eventually they'll, it will become, a, you know, a non-issue. And the media, the, the articles that I'm, that I'm seeing now are saying, you know, dun, 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 you know, we got these new variants to look forward to. We don't know what they're going to be. They're mysterious. They're, they're going to be bad. They're, in there. <laughs> they're cloaked in darkness, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, whatever, man. It's, uh, I don't know what to say about it. Yeah, I don't know what to say about it either. I think that this kind of bullshit. So when all of this stuff started popping off, I was onto this. Before, like before we were worried about it, I was onto it because Stefan Molyneux was talking about it and he he was worried about it. So I was like, Stefan's a smart guy. If he's, you know, I'll, I'll give it credence. Um, so then it blew up here and, you know, I was afraid 
initially because the idea of a bad virus popping up is legitimate. That mm-hmm. could happen. Sure. It probably will happen eventually. And this type of bullshit, I think, is bad for that because, you know, when when the real virus pops up now, all these Trump tards, you know, they're going to be like, it's not fucking real. Uh, but eventually, when they see people like bleeding from their orifices, you know, they'll put on they'll put on the damn mask. They will. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I, I, I can't agree with you enough about that. The, the, all these liber- all these super liberal people that want to force you know, quote unquote, safety upon everybody else, me, you know, and, and in doing so, taking away your, your liber- liberties. That's the thing that they won't recognize, that if there was a legitimate reason to follow those protocols to protect our lives and our lives really seem like they were at risk, people like to live. Fucking That's a pretty man. valuable thing. Yep. We're not going to risk it for a fucking political reason. And in the beginning, in the beginning of the pandemic, you saw that. Mm-hmm. Everybody was scared. Oh, yeah. Nobody knew. Everyone was pretty much obeying. Yep. Except for the college kids in Florida who, you know, didn't give they're, they're not going to obey anyway. They were right anyways, though. They, they were right. <laughs> they didn't miss out on any party and good for uh, them. Um, but, yeah, I remember, like, right at the beginning, like, looking out, there's a, a parking lot for a bar right across the street from my house. And it was just like a night where it should have been packed. It was completely fucking empty, you mm-hmm. know. Mm. It's a weird time. It's still a weird time. It's so but. it's so weird. It's so weird to to walk around in public and see some of the people not wearing masks and some of the people scared wearing masks and gloves and and stuff. And it's like it's like either you're one of those people that trusts the science when it comes out of CNN's mouth, mm-hmm. but doesn't trust them when they say masks don't stop don't stop transmission. The vaccine the vaccine doesn't stop transmission, and you can still shed the virus, and you know, and you can still get the virus. It's like what that means. Two plus two equals it doesn't work. It's not a vaccine. It never was. Mm-hmm. And so you know, you're so married to this idea of 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 that you're doing something good for humanity that you're willing to that you're. I just, it's, I got such mixed feelings because I don't want to be insensitive, especially when I see strangers out there and I think to myself, you schmuck. And then in the back of my head, I'm like, you know, maybe they have other health problems. Maybe they live with older people. Maybe they're scared for them. And I'm like, okay, man, there are, re- there are legitimate reasons to feel that way. Sure. But there's so much science now that says that, that puts, that puts a shadow on, on all of this Truth, quote unquote, truth that 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 the CDC and everybody else has been spitting at us. That how can you feel confident about anything if you were a super conservative person who believed you know this was all hokum to begin with? You know you can't you can't believe that wholeheartedly anymore. And if you were one of those people that that were shit scared and still are shit scared, you cannot possibly be shit scared anymore. If you're if you're choosing to be, it's because you're choosing to be. <coughs> yep. Yeah, and the same thing's true for the people that say that the virus doesn't exist, like, or that it's not that it's not dangerous. And what I mean is, I got a neighbor who lives a couple houses down, and they're about my age. They have young kids about my kids' age. They live right down the street. It's a dead end street. We don't have a lot of houses here. Not a lot of choices. We got like a cookie cutter perfect uh, friend couple over there, and every now and then we'll t- we'll talk to them. And uh, you know, I made the I made the mistake. I, I, I called a mistake of saying kind of how I felt about the the virus. And here's uh-huh. where I, here, here's where I'm coming from. The virus went through my parents' household. My dad has advanced cancer. My mom and dad have all sorts of other conditions: obesity, high blood pressure, all that sort of thing. Th- my dad has stage four cancer and has had it for years. 
He was fine. <laughs> Got sick, was fine. The virus sweeps through my house, and I think this was Delta because it was before Omicron came out, and I still lost my sense of taste and smell for over a month. So I don't think it was Omicron, right? It wasn't the mild version. It went through my house. We have a hugely compromised person, two actually, but a hugely compromised person in the house who had hepatitis C for for decades before it got cured, has 50 years of alcohol abuse, you know, just just all kinds of reasons why you think he, he might be susceptible to it. Got COVID and got better. Fine. That was my experience of COVID. Mm-hmm. Then I go and say something like that to the neighbor, and he's like, uh, my grandma died of it or my aunt died of it or something like that. Somber-faced, like, uh, like I hurt his feelings. And I feel bad about it. You know, it's like the point is that shit does happen, and I don't know how complicated that story is. I'm just saying you can't, you can't be one of those people that writes it off entirely also, you know, either. Yeah, um, I don't think you can write it off entirely, but I think you can write it off a lot. Uh, and, and, and Well, the thing you said at the beginning of this conversation is the proof of that. Yeah. Is if you ask people in your day-to-day life over the last two years, if nobody told you COVID was a thing, how much would that have actually impacted you? Now, if you ask me that question, I would say zero. Yeah. If you ask the neighbor down the street, he would have a different answer to that question. Yeah. But most people, by and large... I think you're 100% on that they saw no meaningful difference in their life apart from all the unintended consequences, the yeah. supply chain yeah, yeah. stuff, the inflation, all that sort Which of Which was all driven by the media making people afraid of it. Yep. Um, I think that, you know, worst case, uh, without the media, if the media had never said anything about COVID, I think that people might have thought, oh, there's like a pretty bad version of the flu going around this mm, year. You yep, know, like yep. more people have died of the flu this year than other years. Um, but I think that's probably the worst of well, it. Well, you, you know, know what? That, but that happens from time to time. Yeah. I mean, so my great-grandfather, he was born in 1908. And his brother, uh, Paul was his name, died of the Spanish flu in the in the early 1900s. That was a particularly bad flu. And a lot more people died than normal. And that was a pandemic. And maybe that's a bad example because it... You know, a lot of people died. Well, I don't know what the numbers are, but I assume far more than COVID as a percentage of population died because of the Spanish flu. But the point is, you're going to have that from time to time. There's going to be worse worse years. There's going to be new viruses, you know? Yeah, you could also, you know, be walking down the street and some guy loses control of his truck and fucking runs you over. That's Just, true. You know, should you not walk down the street? Like, should we outlaw walking down? They're trying walking down the street, you know? But, uh, you know, it's, do you think with self-driving cars, do you think as that gets, the technology gets better, that eventually driving will become illegal? Manually driving will be considered too risky? Yeah, I think that, um, and, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't get that conspiracy theorist that much anymore, uh, just because, like I said, I don't talk about the news or listen to the news or anything. But I think that, um, I think it's a legitimate theory that the people who are, the people who have consolidated the most amount of power in the world right now, a lot of them would like people to not have cars, people to not have, to not own homes, to not own anything. Mm. Um, you know, like you need a service, you need any kind of a service, you call the people in charge and, you, you know, it's like you're, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like everything is centralized. Mm. So, yeah, that's a terrible, terrible idea. Um, anybody who suggests such a thing should should be should be spanked on the bottom. That's a terrible idea. Yeah, spanked on the bottom. I agree. It's one. It's one thing to have services like that, to where nobody like us. Like, if I don't know what kind of interest there would be in 
limiting private property, but just sounds communist on the surface. Well, I think but, I think you'd be surprised how much interest there is in it. It's disappointing. But it'd be one thing if you if you needed a ride and you call the car service, and there's 50 different uh, private companies competing with one another. That car service is going to be much better, much cheaper than if this government does it. You know what I mean? If it's centralized. For sure. Um, but you know that's capitalism for you. Uh, it speaks for itself. <coughs> Hey, uh, let me let me ask you this question. Um, if you're ready, if you're ready for a slightly different topic, sure. All right, so let me read this to myself for a second. Um, okay, okay, this is interesting. All right, so this is kind of related to the idea of addiction and uh, how we handle addicts. You know, like there's like in Europe. Uh, and this is happening in New York and places like that. Now, in in Europe, they have like places where you can go and get high. And the needles you get there are clean and free. And the nurses staff it. The government pays for it. So you can go and do your heroin. And if you die, you know somebody's going to shock you back to life. If you throw up and you're choking on your throw up, you're not in the alley. Someone's going to help you. And they think this is this is good and positive. And maybe it is, maybe it's not. But we're starting to see more of that stuff. They have needle clean needle vending machines in New York now. You can just get a free needle mm-hmm. on the street and go do your heroin. Um, anyway, let me ask you the question this way: Should Severely obese people who can't work qualify for government disability benefits because they can't work, because they're fat? Or should they be treated as any other addict and be sent to a rehab facility until they can return to self-sufficiency? That's interesting. Can you imagine somebody saying, I can't work, I'm too fat, and rather than giving them a check every month and saying, okay. Keep being fat. Put them in a facility and make them fucking... Put them on the put them on the hamster wheel, and I mean I know it's I, I don't know actually if, which which one is more expensive I don't know, mm-hmm. but can you imagine? And what do you think about that idea? Do you think obesity is a, is an is an addiction that that should be treated like an addiction, or do you think it's a disability? You know, um, I think that obesity is the result of different factors, um, and. It's hard to be fair to, like, one group of people uh, and fair to the other group of people. Like, I think that there are some people who are obese and they do have some kind of reason why they're obese. It's, like, really hard for them to lose weight. They've got some, you know, some kind of glandular thing. sure. Um, Then there's, like, lazy fucks who like eating too much. Um, And, you know, like, personally, I think that a lot of the lazy fucks who eat too much... I don't have very much compassion because I'm, you know, I'm fat. I've been fat my entire life and I don't like want people to take care of me. You know, um, I don't think it's other people's responsibility to take care of me because I have made choices that have led to me being fat. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean your solution or well, this theoretical solution of a rehab is, I don't know that I think it's a good idea, but it's more compassionate than I would be. I mean, if if you can't go to work, then you can't feed yourself. That's the uh, hopefully you got friends, you know. <laughs> I, you know that's kind of where I'm coming from. Like, hopefully you live in a community that is willing to take care of you because I'm not. See, this is the thing, man. I I think that by and large, 
people would say it's more compassionate to give that person disability. Mm -hmm. And I think that's not compassionate. I think that's writing them off and forgetting about them. Yeah. Out of sight, out of mind. And that's, that is actually the least compassionate option. You're writing that person off just like we write off homeless vets, just like we write off lots of people, mm -hmm. you know, that we just wish didn't exist. Yep. And can you imagine, like, if, I don't know, man, if, like, they had a uh, experiment with this somewhere and they put people through some sort of rehab, some sort of, some sort of exercise and, and nutrition regimen. How many of those people, there, there's going to be some percentage of those people that come out of that program with a brand new lease on life. Somebody who did something hard because they were forced to, who realized in the process that they're capable of doing something hard, who comes out with like self-esteem, 100 pounds lighter, you know, hopes and ambitions about a relationship and kids and, you know, maybe they want to go out and work. There's going to be some percentage of the population that will be completely reborn because of that, who, who might have otherwise been sitting on the couch eating, eating Cheetos and getting fatter until they have a heart attack and died on government disability income. Yeah, I agree with you. Um... I think that, you know, the idea of just giving somebody money and just like go away, you know, so I don't have to look at you. I gave you money. I, it's off of my conscience, you know. Right. Um, and you can't even, you can't even, I, I like chalk that up to charitability because it's not being done through charitability. It's being done through coercion. It's being done through tax, which I don't pay taxes Voluntary. If I didn't have to, I wouldn't. Right. Of course. Um, and so, it, like the fact that these homeless people are getting fat, you know, or whatever, homeless, fat, <laughs> drug addicts, whatever. Yeah. The fact that they're being taken care of in uh, in the scare quotes there, um, I don't feel good about it because I wouldn't be giving them money, you know. Uh, so I I don't know. It just it's all bullshit. Being being taken care of sounds like a good thing and it is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, unless you are completely incapable of caring for yourself, being robbed of the opportunity to be self-sufficient is a terrible cruelty and is a Fuck terrible me, curse. It's a curse. You ever made the uh, argument uh, in like a racial sense that like uh, if you start feeding wild animals that they become you know, less self-sufficient. And then the people, if you make that argument in a racial context, people are like, are you comparing black people to wild animals? It's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. And I'm comparing myself to a wild animal too. Um, but I just like, that's such a dishonest technique because it's like, I'm not saying that black people are wild animals in the sense that they're any less than anyone. I'm saying that humans are fucking animals, man. You're, you bet your ass we are. Yeah, so... It, the reasoning is 100% sound. These people are just retarded. Yeah, I mean, well, those people, yeah, I mean, I mean, the way you said it made me cringe. You saw me cringe. Yeah. But, uh, but, you're, but you're not wrong. It's like, the, you know, that's a biological fact, and you can experiment it with, with humans and animals and see the results. If you do things for a, a, a creature, they will stop doing it for themselves. And, you know, it's completely logical and it's completely rational. Yep. I want to say really quickly, just for the audience's sake, while we're talking about fat people and sending them to camps, um, I, I, I speak freely about it because I lost 100 pounds. You know, I, I, in fact, from highest to lowest, I lost 100 and almost 40 pounds. Um, so it, the way I was describing that new lease on life and the opportunity that 
that you create for yourself to be reborn when, when, you know, all that stuff psychologically that I'm talking about being so good, I speak from first person experience. For that sure. It's a good thing and it yep. is possible and I'm fucking proof that it's possible. <coughs> so that, that comes from a good place, man. Yep. I lost around about a hundred pounds myself. I've gained quite a bit of it back. You and me both. But, uh, you know, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it just takes some commitment. That's, uh, that's really all it is. For most people, I think that that's the truth. Uh, you know, I said earlier, it's hard to, it's hard for me to treat the lazy people the way I want to treat them, and not also like make the people who really have a problem feel bad too. Yeah, when I don't mean to. I don't even. I'm like I would never be the type of person who would like meanly or in uh, in an insensitive way make fun of someone for being fat. I might joke about it like good naturedly with someone who I know is comfortable with that sort of thing, but I would never like try to be hurtful no, towards somebody no. for being, f- but that being said, I'm also not going to, it's like the same thing with the thing we just talked about with the black people and you know, the, the wild animal comparison. I'm not going to not say something that makes perfect fucking sense because it hurts your feelings. Uh, you know, you, you know, like we don't even have to talk about that example strictly as like a social example because you can look at like your act, your biology. If you are um, taking steroids, let's say, you're putting this exogenous chemical in your body, your body will stop producing what what that chemical is is uh, you know what, whatever the equivalent is inside your body that we would naturally produce. So whether that's testosterone or whatever it is, if you're getting it from the outside, your body will stop producing it. That is a truth so deep that you see it in biology. It's not strictly a social thing. Mm-hmm. That's deep, deep, deep. That's a reality, man. Yep. And, uh, and it's not a good thing. If, you, if you're putting exogenous testosterone in your body and your body can no longer produce testosterone, what happens when the exogenous stuff goes away? Mm-hmm. You, you wither and die. You get sick and you die. That's what's going to happen as the, as, the, as the big brother continues to do more and more for us. We're going to wither on the vine and die. It makes you think about, it makes me think about anyways, um, like when Rome was extended all the way up to Great Britain and then eventually Rome couldn't do it anymore and it, they fell back and, you know, the quality, I mean, I, I am skeptical about how bad things really were. I think that, uh, yeah. you know, I think, uh, a lot of that is kind of like Roman chauvinism. Like everything was just awful once Rome was gone, you know? Well, you, you can say that, but we call that the Dark Ages. Yeah. And that for a reason. Um, when, 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 when the power of Rome fell and the Western world forgot about Socrates, you know, we didn't have... Uh, I said this on a podcast you know, not long ago, that we literally forgot all of the Western philosophy that made the West great during mm-hmm. during the Roman period, yeah. Yeah. and had to recover it, and, the, and that's what caused the Renaissance. That's that's what the rebirth of the West came from us discovering that shit in the Middle East, yeah. where they kept it. But all the stuff that you're talking about is like philosophical idea type stuff. Uh, the idea that like uh, people were living like animals are much worse than they were back then. I mean, there's some truth to it. They couldn't recreate technologically some of the mm-hmm. things that the Romans could do, but. Uh, I don't know. I've just heard a lot of people talk about how the Dark Ages, even calling them that, it's like a, I don't know, like a, like I said, kind of a Roman chauvinist kind of thing. Well, that may be true. Uh, that may be true. But this is what comes to my mind. You would hear that kind of shit today. You didn't hear that shit 50 years ago. It's like one of those things like we, we need to be careful about our biases, Kyle. We have to point out 
oh, the, <clears throat> considering the, the height of the Western um, classical world being the height of the Roman Empire is biased against... Uh, you know, no, all, all of the. I don't think that that's true. I think that well, the the Romans were the were the uh, you know the leaders, and they and they ran things. So if we don't throw them under the bus a little bit, we're not doing service to no, the rest no, of the world. I don't agree with that. You I don't, don't think? No, no, no. I think that, that it's from uh, like looking at at actual history and seeing these people were not like they they didn't like go back to being cavemen. You know, they sure. still had a lot. Uh, so I think that. I think that it's based on like factual evidence. I think the I think I'm going to resist you a little bit. I think the bigger the bigger travesty is not what happened after the Roman uh, Romans took over most of the world. It was it was writing off what was there before the Romans got there. So what I mean is, people pretend like uh, when the Romans came, they civilized a bunch of savages oh, yeah. and gave them high culture. <coughs> and, I completely agree with that. Right and and. You know, you can look at archaeology and you can look at anthropology today, and you can see there were high cultures. Mm-hmm. You know, the Celts, the pre-Celts, the, you know, the Germanic tribes, the Scandinavian tribes. Um, you know, the 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 people from the Russian steppes. Um, there was there was high, there's like names for these cultures that I can't pull to my mind right now, but there was there was um, writing and pseudo writing. There was. Um, all kinds of interesting technology that they were oh, able yeah. to come up with. Stonehenge, for Christ's <coughs> sake. Yeah. The Karnak stones, for Christ's sake. Um, and, and it goes on and on. Uh, there was high culture in, in Europe before the Romans got there, and we pretend like they were savages. Yeah, you know? barbarians. The same, yeah. the same way the West, at least in the old days, would depict like Native American tribes as savages. So that's, like, that's part of what has me interested so much in like the paganism. Uh, because it's like that's what and when you're interested in this kind of stuff it, especially when you're, you know the, with arguments I've made in the podcast already when you start talking about this kind of Norse paganism stuff you run the risk of sounding racist because it's been co-opted by by like people Nazis, who are yeah, racist yeah, you know yeah. um, but I do think there's I, I don't know there's something about it makes sense to me that like that's what the people that's what the people that we're descended from were doing back then that's like the thing this is what they did i mean we don't even know because there's so little known about you know um even like you were talking about that there was high culture high you know um we just don't know about it because they you know it was all of the evidence of it was destroyed by rome uh or you know they didn't keep written records so right they found, they found some tremendous tremendous stuff in, in recent times. I mean, be, mostly from burials and stuff like that, where you can see like the level of uh, quality of jewelry that they had, the craftsmanship, the fact that they, that you can find pieces of like obsidian from like halfway across the world. They had trading networks that went all the way to fucking China, and you know, it's like what? Yeah. Before Rome, they did. Yes, dude. Mm-hmm. And you know, I said this in the car yesterday. I want to. We should probably talk about. We went and saw the great Ari Shafir do stand up last yeah. night. But in the car, uh, you guys were listening to that high long. Mm-hmm. And um, for you guys who maybe who missed that episode where we talked about it, it's like this modern rock, but it's got this. Uh, it's hugely influenced by the the traditional music from Scandinavia and Germanic, like classical, uh, uh, you know, pre classical actually. And the music video that Kyle showed that uh, we talked about was the images of it were very, 
very cool. It's, it's something like if you guys watch the um, History Channel show Vikings, you can kind of picture it. But it, it's like they're wearing animal cloths. They're, they're dancing around to this very rhythmic music, very like hypnotic music. You know, they're in nature. You know, it, it's all it all rings of something you would see from a Native American, uh, you know, uh, image or like a sub-Saharan African yeah. tribal image or Aboriginal image. And I think that's important. Like people think that especially if you're like a I don't, I don't even want to use the word if you're like leaning into in, in like a white supremacist sort of direction if you think that that if you think anything like that people like to think that quote unquote western you know European culture I want to say white culture but I'm not done going to because yeah. fuck that yeah, yeah. that 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 those people emerged from high culture like like Rome. <laughs> And the truth is, we emerged from the same culture that the Native Americans and the Aboriginals and the, the Islanders, the tribal nature-worshipping, animistic religions and cultures, that's where we came from. Oh, yeah. Doing dances, doing eating mu- psychedelic mushrooms and having shamanic journeys, and yeah. that's where we came from. Even Just, the Romans. I mean, you Even know, the Romans. Like, they, they get the, uh, the Christian thing because they kind of spread that through everywhere, but before they were Christian, that's what they were doing. They were, they were hunting and gathering. Yep. They were living close to the land. And they knew every plant, every herb. They knew its medical uses. They knew what was what you could eat, what was poison, and they yeah. used it all, just like any tribal society. That's where we started. Yeah. And, yeah. and also, to to say that that's not high culture is kind of insulting to me, because yeah. that was not easy to get to that point. You I know? couldn't. I mean, we couldn't do that now. No way. The no vast way. majority of humans, I mean, I don't know if the vast majority of humans back then did either, or if it was just like every society had a few, you know, who were mm. just like, uh, like informing everyone else, you know, that's a possibility, but I don't know. I was going to say, you could, you could plot me down in like New Guinea and I would be dead in no time. But, but the, but the truth is you could plot me down in the foothills of Southern Kentucky and if, with, with no resources, I would be dead in the same amount of time, man. I would be dead. Yeah. I'd be rattlesnake bit and eating, you know, the wrong kind of acorns. I would be dead. Yeah, man. You know? Yep. I would like to see, I would like to be on like one of those shows just to see, you know, like as long as there's a button I can hit in the helicopter, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it gets me, you know, but. Save me Bear Grylls. Exactly. Save me Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> Yeah, I would definitely need. A, I would prefer Lester out, but um, mm. yeah, no, I, I, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing out there. Who wins in a fight? Nah, never mind. Well, I think Lester loses to Bear in a fight because he's a military guy. Oh, really? You think? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, Bear. I forgot Bear was military. I think as far as the show goes, Lester's is way better. Oh, I love Lester out. Yeah. Yeah. Bear. I mean. It's just so produced, you know. Yeah, man. There are some of those episodes of Survivor Man. Is that Lester out Survivor Man or Man versus Wild Survivor Man? Yeah. Yep. There's some of those episodes where that guy, he's out there for like weeks and he literally can't can't catch any food. He's literally starving, and it's like the episode's over. And he's like, "Well, sometimes that's how, that's how it goes." <laughs> that never happens to Bear Grylls, man. He's like, "Oh no, oh, look at that over there. Let's let's you know let's kill this alligator. Let me show you how to do it." Yeah. So. I have been uh, really feeling a calling towards that sort of thing, being in nature more, mm-hmm. um, and it, it's made me think about something that we've talked about before in regards to like my kind of anarchist tendencies. It's like property rights, mm. and I've been thinking that here in the area of Northeast Ohio that we live in, 
there's a lot of creeks. There's a lot of rivers in because we we're like right next to Lake Erie. Right. So um, I just like think it's a shame that I can't like follow a creek that I can't just like walk along a creek yeah. because it's going to be through a bunch of people's backyards and shit like that. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, it just like bums me out. And like part of me understands that that like that's like a hippie thing, you know, people's property rights, they matter. But at the same time, it's like I don't I'm not like stealing from you. I just want to like walk along this creek. I think you can. I think the waterways are not owned by the, any private pr- person. So I think you can. It's like, do you remember that story about uh, uh, what's his face going to the Bilderberg meeting or whatever it was? Uh, Alex Jones. Alex Jones. Yeah, that, 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 that's how he got in. Was he, that, uh, what was that? The, the owl thing. Yeah, the, the, the mo- Yeah, whatever it's called. I I can't, it's not coming to me. But you know what I mean. It's the Illuminati meeting with all the rich people and George Soros. And, uh, and uh, yeah, he got in there because he, he took a canoe, you know, down the, yeah. down the river and, and it backs up to this river. And he was able to just, climb, you know, <coughs> climb, climb out onto the shore, take off his, uh, you know, take off whatever he was wearing. He had his suit on underneath and just walk right in. Like, act like he was one of those guys. Fucking Alex Jones, man. That's pretty awesome that he did that, man. The balls on that guy. He's got some, he's got a set. That's for sure. Especially because you, you kind of imagine it might be hard to fit in if you're Alex Jones with a bunch of those guys. But maybe not. Maybe they're all just as, just as uh, I, I, you know, you, you think, can, you you think super rich and successful people are like a certain way. but And that way is not like Alex Jones. But maybe, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't even. I wonder how people do act during those. I want, you know, you ever seen Eyes Wide Shut? It's been a really long time. Yeah, me too. But I just I have like vague memories of it. I can't I can't separate Eyes Wide Shut from Vanilla Sky. And oh man! <laughs> um, and Matt's Matt's angry at me right now. Yeah. After hearing me say that. But yeah, so like, what do you think about that? I mean, like, you can get in trouble for that sort of thing, though. Do you remember? Uh, we're going to so many movies for this shit. But <laughs> um, remember, uh, what's that movie? Emil Hirsch did. Where he played oh, uh, into the wild. Yeah, that's the yeah. one. Remember, he goes to the he goes to like the park authorities, and he's trying to paddle down the river, and they're like, "You have to have a permit for that." He's like, "I have to have a permit to paddle down the river." <laughs> you know? It does. It just doesn't make any sense. He was in Canada, though, wasn't he? Was he? I don't know. Or maybe Alaska. It would make it would make more sense if it's Canada because you they're know communists because they're yeah they're big they're bigger <laughs> brothers than than we are. Isn't that weird? I guess so. Like they're more authoritarian in Canada than they are in the United States. Why is that weird? Because they just because just because of like the stereotypes of Canadians are that they're super nice and well, that, I think that you know there's not a lot of big cities. You don't expect there to be a lot of liberals, and they're like social democrats in the socialist vein of Europe. You know? Yeah, that is kind of weird. I guess. It is kind of weird because there's like wide open spaces. There's a, you'd imagine a lot more freedom, and you'd think that it would be more conservative. But you know, I don't know, man. I wonder if it's just because there's, like, the population centers, you know? I think it's so. That, that's, it's that kind of a thing. Yeah, and the French. But, um, but yeah, basically, I just bring that up because I want to walk through people's backyards, <laughs> you know, and look at the creek. That would be nice, man. Um, I want to tell you a story real quick, because you, you the visual that came into my head when you were saying, like, paddling or walking down the creek... It reminded me of uh, times that I've done that here here in the park where you're allowed to, yeah. you know? But it also reminded me of this thing that happened to me when I went to Tennessee. And I think your family's going to go to uh, the the Smoky Mountains, right, soon? Yeah. Um, this happened to me in the Smoky Mountains. That's one of the most beautiful places on Earth, by the way. Can't wait. Um, it is uh, nothing 
but a tourist trap and the most rural type of community that you can imagine. Like some people still live up in, in the hills and don't have like plumbing. That's awesome. I'm not saying a lot of people, but some people. Point is, I w- went to a park in the Smoky Mountains. I walked along this trail and, uh, you know, they got black bears there. So there's some danger in doing that. But I didn't know because I'm from Ohio. So I went down there and I'm walking and I'm walking down this trail and um, there's this old cemetery you could see in the woods up up over the hill. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to go check that out. So I go off the trail. I go walk up the hill through the woods, not far from the trail, not like I was, you know, taking a big risk. But I get up to the top of the hill and you can see these old headstones. And that's cool, man. I want to yeah. check that. In the woods? I'm going to check sure. that out. I get up to the top of the hill and there's a deer there. Wow. It's like 10 feet from me, 15 feet from me. And it looks at me, but not like it's startled. Like it moves its head real slow. It looks at me. And then it just continues to eat grass. And I'm standing there, right, in this weird scene, like on the top of the hill in the middle of the woods with like some 1800s, you know, like grave markers that you can't even read anymore. And it's just me and this deer. And he, and it, the deer is not scared of me. And I am not threatening the deer. And it, we just had this moment of being together in this spot. And it was just a fucking weird it would it would never happen in here. It would never happen in Ohio. And it's just this weird, like sort of semi mystical moment with Fuck a yeah. deer in the woods, man. Yeah, I love that. Um, I I always feel compelled to go look at old gravestones too when I see like just a a random little old um, what's the word I'm looking for cemetery. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I have numerous times too. It's just interesting, man, seeing the old. Those old-ass headstones, uh, I mean, some of them are surprisingly old. Oh, yeah. And you can learn about the history of an area. Like, you'll, like, read headstones, and you're like, oh, this headstone is the name of this road that we're on, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. uh, You know, that leads me to believe that there's something, there's some kind of connection there. Oh, absolutely. So. So that makes me think of another story. So when I was in, uh, me and and my wife went, before we got married, we went down to visit my family in Columbus, and uh, we took a run with my sister, and we ran through a neighborhood. And, uh, you know, it's an area you and I know it's, it's, you know, built up you know, apartments and houses mm-hmm. and stuff, you know, you know, there's fields and whatnot it used to be all farms probably, but we were running through uh, like a neighborhood, uh, and the park kind of weaves through the neighborhood and, uh, it's like a paved, a paved running path. Right. And then off to the right of the running path, there's a dirt trail and it looked like an animal trail. It was small, but we decided we were going to take it just because, it was scenic, right? We're just gonna. We didn't know how long the run was gonna be, so we all decided we're just gonna take this path. We come off the path. We run probably like a quarter mile or more, and we end up um, through like some like a, a fields and through a patch of woods. And uh, then it, then it, it, the trail stops in this opening. I may have told you the story. It's like a cluster of trees, and there's a, an opening, and it's like manicured, like it's somebody mowed it. It's a it's like grass, you know, in the middle of this wooded area. And there's one headstone there. Mm. And it was like somebody was keeping this path from the trail to this little area and manicuring it. And the headstone was, get this, a Revolutionary War soldier. What? How cool is that, man? That's incredible. I mean, listen, if you don't live on the East Coast, when, when do you ever see a Revolutionary War soldier's grave? You know, Revolutionary that's incredible. And somebody was maintaining it. I don't know if it was part of the park. I want to see that. Yeah. I could probably find it again. Yeah. yeah. It's right there near uh, World Harvest. Oh. It's over there. Oh. Yeah. Okay. All right. I remember. That's that's really cool. 
I remember uh, seeing in one area, a different area of Ohio, uh, there's like a shopping center, you know, like a legit mini mall with a movie theater and like a, a Dollar Tree, you know. <laughs> yeah. And in the parking lot, there was just this random ass uh, cemetery. That, really? You know, that they just didn't get rid of. I guess they can't get rid of it. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, they have. To, you have to relocate them. There's like there's like laws about that. <laughs> you can't just bulldoze and build on top. I, so I feel weird about that because obviously I don't think that like some, you know, I, I don't know, some guy wants to build a, more of a parking lot. So he's just like, I'm going to get rid of these fucking people. You yeah. know, um, I don't think that's right. But at the same time, I also don't really I don't want to be buried. Like, I don't want to be in a in a fucking wooden box, no. like two wooden boxes no, me either. surrounded by like a cement thing, I guess. Mm. Like, what the fuck? I, no, that's silly. I just want to be set on fire. <laughs> My wife says the same thing. Yeah. Because <laughs> she's a Viking. Um, <clears throat> so, I don't, I don't believe in sacred ground. I, don't, I think that's a silly concept. And if you bury somebody in the ground and you put a marker on it, after sufficient time has passed and there's just nothing but dirt there, yeah. what the fuck are you doing, man? Just put, just put whatever you want to put there. Uh, you know, ain't nobody gonna haunt you. You know, there's yeah, no I such guess thing. That makes sense too. There's either no such thing as sacred ground, period, or that maybe it's the saying the same thing. All ground is sacred, and it doesn't matter what's in there, man. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. I think that if uh, if there's ground that people have decided is sacred and they're maintaining it as sacred, um, then I think that that ground is sacred. You know. But if you got an old ass it, that nobody, it's neglected, nobody even knows who's in there anymore, um, you know. Well, the thing is, I don't disagree with what you just said. I actually think that to say something is sacred, it could be a legitimate thing, as long as everyone acknowledges that it's in our minds. You know, it's sacred because we say it's sacred, not because it is sacred. Yeah. And I had this related argument with my wife the other day. It was like a strange conversation that became heated, and I wasn't quite sure why it became heated. Yeah, gotta love that. <laughs> because... Uh, because I told her, like, um, holidays, you know, like, especially, you know, made-up holidays, but all holidays. We're talking about Valentine's Day, let's say. Yeah. Um, but, you know, any holiday. It's like we arbitrarily say this day is special. And then as long as we all pretend that it's special, it's special. And I'm like, look, it, could, it, it doesn't – every day is, is special. Like, every day, if I want to celebrate my love and our marriage and all that stuff, what difference does it make? It's like – why do we set apart a day for that and pretend that it's special? It's not. They're all special. Yeah. And, you know, her, her point was like, she got offended, you know? She's like, but, but her point was, it means something to set aside a day and, and say it's special. That actually means something. And I think that's the same argument why saying that, it's, that land is sacred. Yeah, you know? I think so. I think there is something to that. Uh, I also think that as far as days being special or significant, I do think that there's like... I don't know, certain elements of symbolism that can make things important mm -hmm. or that can at least, uh, it's like maybe it's still you choosing that this day is going to be, you know, sacred. Um, but Are you still, talking about astronomical alignments? Yeah, exactly. Solstices, things like that. Yeah, yeah I, I think that, you know, uh, aligning those significant days with those sort of things, I think it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but as far as like corporate holidays yeah no i mean mm. you know you just do that kind of stuff I, I mean i do i like get chelsea flowers on valentine's day because i like getting chelsea flowers i like doing nice things you know um 
Do you but, think it would be more nice if it wasn't Valentine's Day and she oh, wasn't yeah. expecting it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Listen, I, I, I'm on both sides of this argument, I guess. Um, but I think that setting something up as sacred or setting up a holiday or whatever, that, that to your point, it's sacred, it's special because of this symbolism, and that's in your mind, you know? Yeah, I think that to even, you know, bear that truth out farther, I think... Like somebody can decide something is sacred to them, and if then if you try to like desecrate that thing, they'll kill you. True. You know, so it is sacred to them. You know, like whether you think that it's sacred or not, it's sacred to them. Sorry to interrupt you. There, there's, there's this book. It's called The Golden Bow by this guy named Sir George Sir George Fraser. The I Golden B O U eight B O U G H. Yeah, The Golden Bow. Okay. It's one of these early early works on anthropology and comparative religion and there's this he talks about the different types he talks about animism and he talks about um, ancestor worship and he talks about magic and when he brings up magic there's a there's a story that he tells so let me let me run this story by you Um, it's like this the guy there's a guy in the creek one day he sees a stone in the creek that looks different from the other stones it it appeals to him and before I finish the story I want to mention there are chimpanzees that do this sort of thing that they found that will find objects that they won't let go of. They'll, they'll carry them with them from place to place. So imagine you, you see you, you're walking down the creek, you find this stone looks different from the others. It draws your attention. You go and you pick up this stone and you take it back to the village with you. And it rains that day. And the crops needed the rain. And you, and you notice that there seems to be a connection between you finding the stone or maybe the stone itself and the rain that you needed. And maybe you wish and you hope on this stone that it will rain again, and it does. And suddenly you believe that there's something supernatural about this connection. And he talks about that like ritual magic, and that's where the idea of magic comes from. Like it's completely coincidental. Um, what do you think of that? Um, I don't know. I think I would... Where did you hear this at? In the Golden Bow. Oh, the Golden Bow. Yeah. Um, that sounds interesting. I would like to check it out uh, at the very least. But as far as it being coincidental, it very well could be coincidental. I mean, you know, it probably is. Um, but I don't think that that makes it, like, to that person who picked that stone up and it rained. I don't know, man. It, it's... See, there's a way to think about it as completely arbitrary. But then imagine that that stone gets kept by the village because more people start to come on to the idea that it's magical. And maybe after enough time has gone by, it, it, you know, uh, there's been enough praying on the stone that didn't cause rain that people just kind of realize, you know, this is a moot point. But it stays around like a relic. Mm-hmm. And, then a, and then a couple hundred years down the road, this stone is like a symbol of your ancestors and the power of your ancestors. It's like it becomes a sacred thing. And then you have to ask yourself... Is it? Is there any reality to this sacred thing? Because it, because there is some reality to the, to it being a sacred thing at that point. Yeah. And I don't know where it comes from because if you, where it started was completely arbitrary, but where it, you know, it's like having an heirloom that gets passed down from your. It's like your great grandpa's pocket watch. It yeah. means something way more than just a watch does to you. Sure. You know. It's like there's something about that that becomes real, a part of the object, and it exists in you, not in the object. It's in. And it's transpersonal. 
and it goes from not just you, but the people around you and the people that came before you and maybe the people that are going to come after you. Mm -hmm. It's weird, man. Yeah, I think that that's true. And that's with like one, that example was with one specific stone. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I told, I showed you last night, I've got this, this necklace here with a Mjolnir, uh, Thor's hammer. Yep. And I heard something cool about the, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not etymology, but, you know, like the history of language, whatever that word is. Yeah. Um, that the word for hammer uh, goes back to, like, it's like the first hammer was a rock, you know? It's just a rock uh, that you hold in your hand. Yeah. And uh, something about, uh, apparently throughout the the Norse mythology, Mjolnir is, it, it, it like, represents your heart, like, humanity's heart the this driving force of life mm. um mm. and you think about like uh, what the heart looks like it looks like a rock it looks like a big rock that's interesting yeah um, you know what else comes to my and i don't want to steal your thunder no, you're if you're good. Getting there's here, no thunder you know what comes to my mind here is um uh you take a, a rock and you are beating something with it for whatever reason and you're making this sound this clap 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 and it makes me think of yeah that's your heart, man. You can see that connection too. Just the sound the hammer would make. Yeah. But you think of a smithy. Think about somebody hammering a hot iron. You know, ting. Yeah, absolutely. Ting. That's like a heartbeat, man, for sure. Oh yeah. It's pretty cool. Mm. You know, it's funny, man, because I I did an episode, uh, one of my solo episodes about exactly what you and I are talking about. This idea of of associations, that words like this is the postmodern thing that words don't don't have any meaning. And the the easiest way to figure that out is to ask somebody what something means. Like, this is what Socrates was so good at. Ask somebody what what something means, and they'll say, you know, I I would do an example, but I'm afraid I'm going to embarrass myself. But, you you know, you give somebody a word, and they'll tell you what it means using other words. And then you say, okay, what do those other words mean? And they'll explain to you what they mean using other other words. And it kind of gets less and less precise. But the point is, there is no meaning. It's circular. Mm-hmm. So the, the words, if you want to know what they mean, they only refer to other words. And if you want to know what they mean, they only refer to other words. So what the hell? That's the easiest, that's the postmodern argument. It's the easiest way of understanding. Words mean nothing. And what makes them mean something is their associations, exactly what, what, what I just said. So, um, you know, if you say, you know, that uh, uh, the example I use is something like, it was, it was the episode about light. So it was like, you, you know, you say, what's, what's an association with light? Well, the sun, fire, heat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you associate it with fire, maybe it's cooking. Now it's food. And so you see, you just have this build up, this association around light. And all the other words give it the meaning. And without those cloud of associations, the words mean nothing. And what's so cool about that is that the same thing's true with mythology, and the way we understand gods and what you just talked about with the heart and the stone and the hammer, that's a cloud of association. Yeah, that's true. You know? That's cool. And it's even cooler because it's true on the atomic level. <coughs> on the atomic level, um, the way that the physicists will describe um, atoms and electrons and their interactions with each other is it's like this. Atoms, electrons circling around an atom don't exist as a, as a particle or, or a wave. Um, they exist. They exist as both at the same time. So it's like this is what this is what physicists mean when they say um, when they talk about particle wave duality. It's like uh, um, either 
you, you observe something and you can tell it's in this place, it's moving like this, it's exactly this little particle. But when you're not measuring it, it's not here, it's everywhere. So the, the electron is a cloud around the atom. It exists everywhere, all around. Just like you have a, a cloud of associations around a word or an idea. Mm. And that's one of those fractal things that c keeps coming up. It's like I get the hair standing up my arms because whenever this fractal image emerges, it resonates for me from the mystic experience. Yep. And in my heart sings. I'm like, there's something true about that. And the more you see it, the more true it seems. And this idea about there not being reality in the way we think, but rather just some sort of cloud of associations. Uh, I don't know if I can make that any clearer. What do you think about that? I think it's cool, man. <laughs> um, no, I do like, um, I, I don't know, it's hard. It's definitely hard to describe, but that's kind of, uh, you know, just through all the exploring uh for lack of a better word, and talking that we've done about this sort of thing. I don't know. It's hard to not imagine uh, existence as, like, I don't know. I just imagine some, like, vat of just, uh, I don't know, like, I don't just, like, particles that are swimming around and, like, ran at, like, random times they're, like, zapped into it. Like, certain things happen in certain parts of it. I don't know. It's hard to explain. It is hard to explain. So um, our buddy, our buddy Dan Daniel Torridon from the UK, he posted this thing on Twitter the other day about, um, about reality being um, uh, something like f quantum fields, basically, but that they exist something like um, the way like water does. So you, the waves move through the water, right? So that what you've got is this is this these quantum waves that are that are moving around, and their fluctuations, their vibrations. That's what matter is. So it's like the wave will move in a certain pattern, and that's a proton. The wave will move in a certain pattern, and that's the force of gravity. So you got this. What this is that Terminator Two T One Thousand substance behind our subjective reality? Yeah. What is objective reality? It's nothing but this, but this wave and vibration of you know pattern of vibration, and it's super complex, and maybe it's multidimensional. Who knows? You know what the physics is behind it? Nobody knows. Yeah. Um, but it's the vibration and the movement of the waves that generates all the things that we consider quote unquote real. And that's mind bendy, man. It is. I love it. It is indeed. Um, yeah, I don't remember what else I was gonna say. So. Well, while we're talking about light, I want to I want to say the wife like, and I the wife and I were talking about um, getting a tattoo. Yeah. Another tattoo, because after you know, if you get tattoos after a while, you you do kind of want another one. And if you ever if you see anybody covered in tattoos, that's what happened to that person. You know. I don't know what it is. There's something about the suffering. There's something about the art. There's something about it being on your body forever um, that is appealing. And uh, <laughs> and once you have one or two tattoos, the, there is certainly a desire to do to have it have other tattoos. I don't feel the hook as much. As you get older, you don't. But I'm starting to feel that itch a little bit. Um, yeah. Like maybe I want another one. And I thought maybe that would be a good tattoo is to get the formula for the speed of light on, yeah, on my body. That would be cool. The speed of light in a vacuum, so how it travels through space. Like a, like a Dyson or a Kirby or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do yeah. you mean? <laughs> the vacuum of space. Oh, space. Mm, got it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what is – to explain that, what's the difference? Why is it – Why? Oh. how does it behave differently well, when it's in a Dyson? 
That's a good, that's a good question. Um, I, I, well, I can only answer you this Somebody way. Somebody vacuums up some light that's made. It's <laughs> like vacuuming up the spare light particles that are on the ground. I can only answer you this way, Kyle. Apparently, the speed of light in the vacuum of space is different from the speed of light in an atmosphere. So, I, don't, I guess slower? I don't know. But when, when light passes through our atmosphere and comes down and shines on your beautiful face, it's slower or somehow different than when it's just freely moving through, through space. Hmm. Um, and so something about the speed of light in space seems to be more <coughs> seems to be more sacred than through an atmosphere to me. It's like something more primordial. Like what what was what was light doing before there were things? It was moving like that. Yeah. And it just goes back to the last episode we had about God's debris. Was there light before there were things? That's a good question. I guess not. I guess uh, it. If what we believe, about, well, that's you know what this is a really. I'm telling you, man, I got to get a physicist on this podcast to answer yeah. some questions because here's what I don't understand. Light is part of electromagnetic radiation. So light, we, I say light, but what I really mean is electromagnetic radiation. Okay. And what that means is light is part of, a, 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 a part of one thing that also causes magnetism and also causes electricity. That's mind-blowing to me at all. First of all, it's like magnetism, electricity, and light are all part of the same thing. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. So there's electro, electromagnetic radiation. Some of that light is color, right? The, the visible spectrum. So, okay, so now, now this is our new field of associations. Now we have electricity, magnetism, light, and color. But beyond that, we have UV radiation, we have ultraviolet radiation, we have, you know, all, all that sort of thing. It also links back to the, uh, uh, what do they call that? They call it the um, uh, cosmic, what did they call that? Cosmic background yeah, co- something? Yeah, cosmic background radiation. Yeah. I can't, there, I'm fucking it up, but there's, but there's that. No, I think that is it, cosmic background radiation. Yeah. And so, so scientists have found out that there's this uh, uh, detectable pattern of radiation from the Big Bang that still lingers out there. That's the static you hear, you know, it's the static you hear on the radio when, there's, when you're not at a channel, right? Or the static you see on an old-fashioned tube TV when there's not a channel. That, that's the residual electromagnetic signature of the Big Bang. That is part of the electromagnetic spectrum. Like, so it's not so simple to just talk about light. I'm talking about something hugely more than that. Yeah. But the idea that 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 I could that I could capture that in a formula and tattoo it on my body just seems kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. I uh, I would get more tattoos if I had just like piles of money laying around. That's <laughs> yeah. the main thing that prevents me. Well, from good doing question. It. Let's suppose you did have a pile of money that you didn't need anything to do with. What would you tattoo? Um. I would definitely want some sort of fractal imagery. Ooh, some crazy geometry? Yeah. Uh, like, I'm thinking like a whole arm of something like mm. that. Maybe a back of something like that. Ooh, Richard Cook would be the guy to do, to yeah, do that. Dude, I mean, he's so good. Mm. Uh, that dude, it's a very talented tattoo artist. Uh, but, yeah, he would be good at that. Uh, you know, f- just trippy, trippy fractal imagery. You wouldn't do like... Woden. No, oh, yeah, I would rooms. probably. I mean, I would probably incorporate something like that into the fractal. You know. Um, oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. You know, I bet there would be some interesting stuff you could do with runes becoming fractal. You yeah. know, like like oh, that would be cool because runes are so cool anyway. Yeah, runes are cool. What do you know about runes? Anything? I know a little bit about runes. Um, you know, it to me, the runes almost seem like what I think that got the gods seem like in not just Norse paganism but like kind of religions in general except Christianity and Judaism and Islam they kind of have a different vibe 
But a lot of the times, uh, I think that God's, I, I don't know, I use the word talisman, but it doesn't, I don't know if it makes sense, but they're just like, a, like, I don't think that a lot of, I don't, you know, like, I don't believe that, we talked about this before, I don't believe that Thor is a real, like a dude carrying a hammer, right. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't think that a lot of Christians believe that God is a guy in the sky with a beard. It's something that, like, encapsulates just um i don't know a theory of existence um uh uh, i don't know it's hard to describe it's it's representational yeah i love that i love that it's it's symbolic symbols are so powerful man you know what just popped in my head what's that you know how you're uh you said that uh well we didn't share this with the audience but when we talked about uh becky who's the christian witch yeah yeah how that your mom had some immediate repulsion to that idea Yeah, yeah and i just popped in my head i think i know where that comes from What's that? Um, well, because you're, I think your mom believes that there, that there are demons. Yeah. That, that there is embodied evil, and I don't. Mm. Um, and I think that's a big mistake. I think I think it's a big mistake to believe in embodied. In, no, 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 no. Let me let me pull back. I think evil is psychological. I think it exists in human beings and exclusively in human beings. So I do think it's embodied because we're embodied. That evil comes from us, not from not from the world around us. Uh, and maybe your mom, maybe your mom would have would have like a psychological um, defense for this. And so may, you know that would be interesting to hear. Um, but I don't believe you know like you remember the movie Constantine. I love that movie. Keanu. Keanu. Yeah, they got this crazy, creepy demons in the, in the movie. I don't believe that there is the a fear of destiny. <laughs> I don't. I don't believe in, in angels or demons. I don't believe in heaven and hell exactly. Your mom's probably cringing right now um, and praying for my ever immortal soul. But I think that's where it comes from. If you don't, if you believe that there's such a thing as a supernatural embodiment of evil, a devil or a demon that can influence you, that exists outside of you and apart from you, mm-hmm. then you might not want to mess with witchcraft because what you, you know, what might you be inviting into your sure. experience? Sure. Uh, but if you if you believe like, like I do, like like Carl Jung did, that that stuff exists as a spirit, but that's within you and your psyche. It, it influences you just like the, you know the mythical story sure. says it does, but not from the outside, yeah, from the yeah. inside. The evil, the evil exists within you. Um, you know, w- then what's the problem with what's the problem with symbolic magic? What's the problem with ritual? It's just know. like just like taking communion, just like singing a hymn. There's nothing different. There's nothing different. It's ritual magic that we do every Sunday. Yep. I think, and I talked about this. Um, I think two weeks ago. I think that a lot of that is based in. Um, like uh Christianity particularly over the years has had like a you know they it's the, that religion spread you know what i mean mm-hmm. and a lot of the time not by peaceful evangelizing <laughs> right right um and i don't i mean that that's that's how history is goes i don't i don't like have a grudge against christianity you know uh but that being said you look back at history and they did a lot of it you know mm. um and i think Part of that uh, to keep people from going back or, you know, defecting from Christianity is you have to make the other scary. You know, yeah. you oh, have yeah. to, and I think that they did a great job of that. Oh yeah. You know, I see like people like my mom, um, and I, you know, whatever, it's it's no big deal. But uh, they look at stuff like that and they think that it's all scary. And it's like, I think that if you want to do bad things you know and you aren't careful if you 
if you are like praying to demons, even if demons aren't real, um, and asking them, you know, trying to summon dark spirits, again, whether whether they're real or not, if this person believes that they are real, you're gonna summon them, bitches. Yeah, and you're gonna you're gonna feel like emboldened to do things that you wouldn't normally do, and things like that. You know, it's really it's really strange how that's connected, how that idea is connected to our earlier our earlier conversations about about holidays and sacredness and mm-hmm. how and how we just we say so and it it is so yeah. you know it's the same thing and it reminds me it reminds me of the book of genesis yeah you know god just said so and it was so you yeah. know god damn that's good i think that that kind of stuff is powerful and valuable it is you're right man you know the, i want to add one thing and, I, and this is i'm maybe i'm talking specifically to your mom here but um <laughs> The people who don't, who, the people who prefer to think that they're ultimately good, that evil comes from as an influence from the outside, those are people who, uh, Carl Jung would say, haven't integrated their shadow. So you have to realize that you have a capability for evil, uh, and and that you that you've done evil and will do evil, and and not just to other people, but to your very own self. Oh yeah, and probably you, the most to yourself. Probably the most to yourself. And if you don't, if you don't recognize that then you never have any hope of controlling it. You never have any hope of, uh, of, of turning it around. And, um, and that's what Carl Jung says is possible. That, you know, it's like if, if there's a such thing as an inner demon, that you can harness it, you can, str- you can strap on a... Um, uh, <laughs> you, can, you can strap on a saddle and a bit, and you can ride that motherfucker to your, to your will. Yeah. Right then, you, then your evil becomes a weapon or a tool, yeah. and it doesn't and it doesn't become something that overwhelms you. And yep. I th- and I think that's what gives people the impression that evil's coming from the outside. Yep, I that's a, I like that. Got to tame that dragon, Kyle. Yep. Got to ride that beast. I also think that like these people who are summoning you know, dark spirits and whatnot. Um, it, it, I think my mom, if somebody said, no, I'm summoning, you know, the help of Thor, of Odin, you know, those aren't dark spirits. Those are like, you know, my mom would still think that that's dark spirits. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, And I just think that that's like a little bit of Christian chauvinism. You know, I get you. That's a good point, man. um, Which is, you know, again, whatever. You know what image came to my mind when you were talking about someone doing dark magic and then and then like willing it and then having this confidence and belief afterwards that makes them more bold? Uh, you're gonna hopefully you'll get a kick out of this one. Do you remember the most the worst Spider-Man movie, the third one, when when uh, he got emo when he got emo and dark he had guy liner on and he was like and he was just walking around with this like scowl on his face. You remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. God damn you. Uh, what was what was the guy's Toby name? Toby McGuire. Toby McGuire. Toby McGuire. Uh, shout out to Matthew. <laughs> Anything else on that? Why'd you bring up Spider-Man? Just because, just because when Spider-Man went dark, he just had this confidence in this like, and this like he carried himself differently. Oh yeah, and I see. What it you mean. seemed super fake and phony in the movie. It was a terrible, terrible movie. But I, so, just to go back to what we were talking about, I think that there's reality in even if even if you think it's fake, if this person believes that there are dark spirits and those dark spirits will embolden them to behave, that's real. That's real. Absolutely, and that's real. I think that you can do it the other way too. I think that if you, you know, like a Christian person, if they open themselves up to Satan or demons, they might be emboldened to do terrible things. 
but if they open themselves up to Jesus and God, they'll be, you know, like just look at all of the stuff they say, the positive stuff mm-hmm. they say about people who do that. Um, it's like the exact same thing. It is. And you know what that reminds me of? The placebo effect. Sure. So even that, if you believe, or even if you've been tricked, if you believe that something is effective, in some cases, it will be effective. Yeah. And that, that makes me wonder if there isn't real magic. What I mean is, and this is something that uh, I also mentioned, uh, me, me and Daniel were talking about on Twitter not long ago, <laughs> is uh, like, and, and you and I talked about the last time we did a podcast, is whether there, if everything is consciousness the way that I believe, if, it, if it's not possible to manipulate consciousness and, and in a way that allows you to manipulate the cosmos, whether it be your body, whether it be the world around you, and you can see how you can absolutely make psychological psychological changes that impact the physical world, whether oh, yeah. whether, it, whether it be how you interact with it or or whether it be getting over a, a sickness. Like your body can actually that's a I mean that's a, that's an interesting argument because there's something physically wrong with you, you know, something material and physical, and you have you have the ability through your mind to get better. That is there is. That <coughs> deserves way more scientific exploration. That, you know, God damn, that's interesting. Yeah, that is super interesting. And I think... That was me. Oh. Um, I think that uh, the chalking it up to the placebo effect, I think it does it a disservice. Uh, you know, I think that giving something uh, like an anodyne scientific name like that it robs it of the mysticism of it because it's pretty that's crazy it is crazy um and again just saying that this is what happens doesn't explain at all why it happens so Mm. i want to tell you something weird and out there um i got two things like that um so I've been listening to this podcast called Mind Escape, and it's uh, a, a bunch of other guys, a bunch of other guys that talk about um, psychedelics and consciousness. So I'm okay. super into it. And this book that I bought, uh, this guy was on their podcast, um, Peter Sot Hughes. I don't know how you say that that name because Ooh. it's German or Scandinavian or something. But I'm uh, I'm getting into it. It's super interesting. Um, and the guys on the guys on the Mind Escape podcast, one of them, uh, I don't I don't know the, I don't know them all that well because I'm still kind of getting into it but uh, one of the guys always uses this word pareidolia and he said and and it's just pattern recognition it's just like what happens when you look up at the clouds and you see uh, you know a shape of a dog like there's not really a shape of a dog you just you just over overlay it you know this 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 shape you overlay right it's like you recognize patterns and people are people are good at pattern recognition so when I talk about like uh Objective reality being like, like Jordan Peterson would call it chaos or something, and uh, and I, I call it potentiality, and it, and it and I'm just picturing just static like TV static, you know, it's just it's just could be something, it's just whatever whatever it takes to to bring something into into existence, but it's not that yet, it's whatever comes first, it's whatever comes beforehand, it's just this chaos, and pareidolia like seeing patterns in it, I just have this nagging idea that. Seeing a pattern in it is is to bring that pattern to, into existence, right? If I'm looking at the chaos and I see a dragon, I have I have created a dragon, right? It's come from the chaos and I recognized it. So the role the role of consciousness is pareidolia. 
It's it's that's how you that's how consciousness brings something out of nothing. It's it's a very hippie weird thing, not well thought out. But this guy always uses that word in, in a way that I kind of object to, and I just this this is something I've been toying around with in my head. It's just this idea of of objective reality being being chaos, being static, and uh, and the patterns that aren't there that you pretend are there that you that you see anyway. That's something like God creating the universe from nothing. It's mm-hmm. like there's. Consciousness acting on chaos and bringing forth. It's very Jordan. That's, it's very Petersonian. But when I talked about earlier about um, what I imagine reality, I imagine a vat of just like particles. That's kind of what I mean. It's uh, like um, yeah. it's just like complete chaos in there. And I also sometimes imagine like some kind of God being, and he's got like I know this is. Stupid, I want to hear it. <laughs> he's got like jumper cables. Okay, yeah. and it's not necessarily electricity that's going into it, but it's just some kind of energy, and he's like moving it around in there. And as he moves it, like that energy just like makes different things happen. You know, I I, I got to add something to this. I hope this blows your mind. Okay, one of the things that I learned about physics when I first started getting into this because. Uh, I wanted to know about quantum physics, you know, like collapsing the wave function, and I thought that was all very spiritual. One of the things I learned that blew my mind was was this. This is also about electromagnetic radiation, by the way. Did you know that changing an electric field creates magnetism? And changing a magnetic field creates electricity. All and so I don't exactly know what they mean by change. Maybe it means like changing the amplitude or changing the you know frequency. I don't know what it means, but, but you can just turn it on and off, on and off. That's changing the field, on and off, on and off. Oh. If you take a magnet and you change it on and off, on and off, on and off, it will create electricity. Now, if you take, if you take electricity and you turn it on and off, on and off, on and off, it will create a magnetic field. Hmm. That's, that's actually how they discovered that electricity and magnetism were the same thing. Oh. That, that, that's the relationship that they found out. So you were just describing God holding jumper cables, yeah. changing, right? Changing this energy, injecting this energy, whatever, whatever it is. There's something deeply, deeply, fundamentally important about that idea, and I think that's visually what you're describing. All you've got to do is take electromagnetism and turn it on and off, on and off, and you will create something completely new. And uh, and it makes me think about. Remember how we were talking on the last episode about God's debris, about matter popping in and out of existence? You know, where does it go when it's when it's gone? Yeah, that that makes me think on and off, on and off, in and out of in and out of existence, like a quantum particle's doing. You know, leaping in and out of existence. That there's something about that that's and it reminds me of the difference that it reminds me of the distinction between God and the cosmos. You know, it's like, you know, God is the off and the cosmos is the on. And the consciousness is going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, just like quantum particles are going back and forth, back and forth. And that on and off thing is causing, just like electromagnetism, it's causing all of this energy. It's causing the, uh, you know, the waves in the in the space time, whatever, whatever you want to call it. I don't, I'm not a physicist, but there's something. I think there's something there. And whatever I'm talk, I'm tiptoeing around trying to make clear right now that I don't quite understand. Fundamentally important. I honestly believe it, man. Yeah. So I need the physicists to get on this immediately. But I do think it would be cool to have a physicist on and ask questions. Somebody who'd be open-minded. Yeah. You know, even if they told us how dumb we were, even if they told us how dumb we were, I don't care. I want to get someone on to talk about it. It's going to have to be you because I don't really have much of a social media presence anymore. I I don't think I'm going to do it through social media. I think I'm going to try to do it the old-fashioned. You remember how I told you when I I got my first tattoo? Yeah. 
I just emailed a bunch of professors. I, I went online. I found the people that I thought would, would know, and I emailed a bunch of professors. I'm going to do that. I'm going to try that route. Cool, man. If any of them, uh, I just imagine most college professors are super liberal. If any of them listen to the podcast, they're like, no, nah, I'm not coming on yeah, the yeah. podcast. I know. It's like I almost, I think that, you know, saying, hey, we, we got like 80-something episodes. We like, you know, we're serious about making this fucking podcast. It's not like, uh, you know, you're our first episode. We're trying to use you to get big or something. Right. Um, I think they'll I think they'll know that if we're going to a low level academic, so we're not going to get famous off of an adjunct professor from you know yeah. the University of yeah, whatever the fuck. Um, but uh, but you know like so presenting the podcast uh, is good in one way, but then yeah, like if they listen to it, that's <laughs> what the fuck they're gonna do. Uh, so. All right, I got another another thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, I, I've always been interested in dreams, you know. Yeah. Um, partly because they're super interesting. If you ever have like a vivid dream and you, you know how crazy they are, how hard they are to understand, and if you, the more you can remember in the morning, you're just like, what in the world? You know, they don't make sense. Um, they're full of symbols. The, the logic and the temporal order are f- weird, and, and nothing ever surprises you in dreams, even though they're outlandish sometimes mm-hmm. what happens. So I've always been interested in dreams, and um, uh, my, my uh, former, uh, well, my ex-wife's uh, dad, he he had these crazy um like serial dreams that they would pick up the next day you know he would he would have a dream that would last several nights you know would go yeah. on and on and on i just thought that was so weird and interesting i um have to admit i'm skeptical about that about meaning in dreams or about no, no, serial no, no. dreams the, 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 just sometimes people will tell me things about their dreams and i'm just like you're lying oh <laughs> like what uh just like sometimes people tell me these like crazy exaggerated things about their dreams and i just feel like i feel like you you maybe you had a dream but i feel like you're exaggerating i just don't feel like uh sometimes i don't feel like people are being honest about these things interesting like well i wonder if that has to do with maybe you not having dreams like that personally maybe. it's like I mean, a, sometimes i have some pretty crazy dreams but um yeah i don't know it's like um, there's a word for this. I just heard heard this on a podcast the other day. I can't remember that some people um, see colors when they listen to music. Okay. And I don't have any idea what that means because I don't have that. But very few people is a rare, and some and usually they grow out of it. It goes away at, you know after the age of twenty. But some people will listen to music and see colors like a, I don't know like a like a moving kaleidoscopic thing that goes along with what they're hearing. If you didn't have that, you would be like. No, you didn't. That's bullshit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe there's something to that. But when I was a kid, I used to think, like, I would love to remember my dreams better. Mm-hmm. I would love to be able to write them down and read them later. I would love to be able to read other people's dreams. Yeah. You know? Like, what? And see if I could, you know, see patterns in it or or whatever. The reason I tell you that is because um, I learned recently that there are these books that were that were found, or tablets, or papyrus, or whatever, from ancient Mesopotamia and from and from ancient Egypt, where it's a, it's exactly that. It's a collection of these dreams. I don't know. I, I would have to imagine they're like important people's dreams. I don't know if like regular people are just like schmoes yeah. of ancient Egypt are writing down dream? their dreams. You want me to write it? <laughs> you want me to chisel it into a stone? Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, I'm going to try to find them and yeah. read them. I that sound to me that sounds like would be super interesting and uh, <coughs> uh, sound cool. We could have a podcast about it, like these ancient people's dreams. Yeah, for sure. I just wonder, like, how different. Like their references are different. The world is different. Mm-hmm. What kind of shits in their dreams, man? Probably scary shit. I would imagine. What's the scariest dream you ever had? So I had this dream once. Uh, 
and it was just like scary in a kind of like just when you ever seen a a horror movie that is just like kind of weird and unsettling it's not necessarily gory but it's just like the imagery is like really fucking weird like and pan's, pan's labyrinth mm, no not necessarily um <laughs> i'm talking more about like uh i'm i'm having a hard time calling one of the time, one of the movies up right now like, but like mother so the best one i can come up with um, i don't think i saw that one you should yeah um, the best one I can think of is uh, Rob Zombie made a movie called Devil Rejects. No, it was something about Salem or witches or something like that. Okay, yeah. Um, I think we saw it in theaters mm. up here, um, and it wasn't like a gory movie necessarily. It was just a lot of like weird, weird shit. I had a dream that was kind of like that. Uh, it's hard to remember at this point it's been so many years but I remember waking up from it just being like what the fuck was that you know what that makes me think of you, you remember how when um, the Blair Witch Project is that what yeah. it's called yeah you that's know, a good you, you remember when Blair Witch came out a lot of it was different it was very different from a lot of movies because it was low budget and all that and it had a certain uh, aesthetic you know different and it was scary and a lot of people were really frightened and the scariest thing that you that you see in that movie is Sticks tied together in weird ways, hanging from trees. You know, yeah. you don't you don't see anything scary. People running and screaming, and the camera shaking. I think at the end you do see like uh, they drop the camera, and you see like some kind of a. Uh, you can't tell though, right? Yeah, it's not like uh, it's yeah, it's definitely not uh, a, like a great visual or anything. Can you imagine feeling deep fear because somebody tied some twigs together in a weird way and hung it from a tree? Because that's what that's what that movie did for people. Yeah. Like you know, they you put that you put yourself in the headspace of these teenagers in the woods with all this uh, you know unknown around them and you know in this unnatural or natural setting I guess that goes right back to what we were talking about earlier about like Christians being afraid of um, and I mean we live whether these people who are afraid of these things want to admit it or not the reason that kind of stuff gives them the heebie-jeebies is because they were brought up in like a, a Christian society mm. a Christian culture I wonder if that like I wonder if deep down, it's like we know that they're symbolic, just like the cross is symbolic, but we don't know what they, we don't know what they are symbolic of. We don't know what behaviors they um, are designed to evoke. So it's like you know what the cross is designed to evoke. It's designed for you to, to to humble yourself and to you know all that all that stuff. It's not threatening, but if you see a symbol you don't understand, it can mean anything. And you know what behaviors the people who the people who believe this symbol has meaning, what is it going to make them do? You know, what, what am I in for? It's interesting. It's just like a fear of the unknown sort of thing. That's what it all boils down to. Yeah. That's why people are afraid to die. Pretty much. I'm not afraid to die anymore. No. I haven't been since 2019. Um, I, you know, that's a, because of a mystic experience. But, but I actually uh, I have this uh, fantasy and I, I don't wish to die, don't get me wrong, but I had this fantasy that when I, um, when I die, like I, I imagine it's going to be a heart attack, which seems like prophetic to me. I, I think like maybe that's what's, that's what's going to get me. But I, I imagine having a heart attack and just sitting there calmly experiencing it, you know, like, oh, this is a new experience. Let's just, let's just try not to panic and just feel it, you know? And then I wonder if passing into the, you know, whatever, the, passing into the next life or, or just, you know, 
losing my consciousness for the last time. Like what that experience is like. And I, I, I don't want to say I'm looking forward to it, but I'm not afraid of it, you know, mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah, I agree to a certain extent anyways. Um, you know, I think I'm definitely less afraid of death than I was you know, earlier in my life, I do think that, you know, when I'm staring down the barrel of the gun, maybe I'm going to be afraid because what makes me think that is when I'm staring down the barrel of a, like a DMT trip or something like that, I'm afraid, you know, I'm yeah. like, what's going to go on yeah. here? Um, yeah. Af- and afraid and attracted at the same time. Oh yeah. That, uh, but then I think that staring down the barrel of the gun of death, uh, there's no cut, you know, like that trip's not ending, you know, you're, you're taking that one. Yeah. You know, this is just those cloud of associations that are popping into my head when I, when I just said that feeling of being scared, but also intrigued at the same time, like, like you're getting, getting ready to start a DMT trip. That, that reminded me of when I lost my virginity, you know, cause I was a little bitch. I was young. I was, t- I was, you know, I was probably too young really, but I remember being scared and intrigued at the same time. Like I wanted it and I was scared at the same time. Yeah. You know? And I feel like that's how it's going to be when I'm dying. It's interesting. Mm. It is interesting. (laughs) It is interesting. Shout out to Wanda. Uh (laughs) Oh man. Um, But yeah, I do think that there is some kind of a, some kind of a parallel between that fear of, that oncoming psychedelic experience and that like laying there like oh fuck you know it's coming i'm starting to feel it who you know who knows what's gonna yeah. go on yeah and then also like laying there on your deathbed like oh god yes yes and it, you know what makes me think of like the like the masonic uh ritual you know where to if you want to become a mason one of the things you do is a is a ritual death and rebirth. Mm-hmm. So they like put a noose around your neck and they make you lay in a coffin and then they lift you and then they lift you out of the coffin. And so it's like this whole this whole thing about dying and being reborn. And that's what it feels like when you sit down when you know that you're going to have an ego death. When you sit down and you and you and you have that DMT experience or whatever. Um, same thing, man. My my palms will get clammy. My heart races. I try to calm myself down. It's a it's a very. I mean, I know what you mean. Completely know what you mean, and I and I, you see that, like I say, being recreated in a ritual, like with uh, masons. But then you think about the story of Jesus, death and rebirth, you know. And you think about, you know, that like the uh, what was that movie, uh, Zeitgeist, or what was that movie called, where they were talking about uh, all the other dying and, re- and reborn gods from ancient, that co- basically saying that Christianity was just copying Horus and uh, oh, yeah. you know all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. What was that called? Religious? No, that, no, no, no. Eh, whatever. We don't have to harp on it. Uh, that's just where my mind goes. Yeah. Okay. De- de- death and rebirth is something that is uh, is deeply, deeply significant for human for human beings. Yeah. Um. It, like like Jordan Peterson will talk about that in terms of like uh you know y- you have a, a period of your life where you're lost and you fall back into chaos and you have to you have to reconstitute yourself and then re- reemerge like the, like the phoenix. You can imagine if like well we could take my example, um, being young, um, going through a divorce, having my whole life turned upside down, and having to relocate to a new city and start over from the, from from the beginning. And I'm I'm a completely different person than I was. That's a death and a rebirth. Yeah. You think of somebody who's like addicted to drugs and they come out of it, death and rebirth. You know, there's suffering, you descend into the underworld, you, you come back. 
Um, and you see that in psychedelic experience. That's no coincidence. You see that in, in religious ritual, like with the, the resurrection of Jesus. That's no coincidence. That's fundamentally important. And the fact that you see it going all the way back to ancient Egypt is par for the course, man. Yep. Cool. Cool. <laughs> you got anything else interesting? Um, do I have anything else interesting? I don't think so. All right. Well, we're definitely we're definitely not going to be able to get through this entire thing. I don't think. But let me see how many pages do we have. You know what? We totally can. All right. Fuck it. All right, let's go. All right. So I was trying when I told you before about reading God's debris, um, having enough material to do two episodes. These are like the leftover stuff. But one of them I thought you were going to find interesting: the skeptic's disease. So if you want, right. we can just read through some of this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So this is this is the leftovers from back God to, from God's debris. Back to Delbert. Back to the guy that did the Dilbert comics, Scott Adams. Shout out to Daniel Torridon. All right, here we go. Um, there's a section in the book called Genuine Belief. I really can't remember uh, the context, but let me just read these for you. So remember, this is, uh, this is the old man and the young man. The old man is like the wise sage. He seems to know everything. The young man is like, you know, knows nothing, but he's... he's you know, he's curious. Direly curious. He wants, he, wants the, he wants answers to the hardest questions. And at one point... This is, this is the conversation. Um, the majority believe in the usefulness of their beliefs and earthly and practical utility, but they do not believe in the underlying reality. It's kind of what we were just talking about. <laughs> it is with, kind of, uh, yeah. yeah. Most people believe in the usefulness of their beliefs, but they do not believe in the underlying reality. And that's interesting because people are willing, who hold beliefs, are willing to let them go if they're convinced that they should. So it's like yesterday. This was you. This belief you had was was solid rock, bedrock, as good as gold. But you have something that changes. Something comes up that changes your opinion, and you you're, you're you're willing and able to throw that belief away and adopt a new one. So do you really? Did you really believe it at all? If you're willing to just throw it away, that's interesting. Then he says, when belief does not control your most important decisions, it is not belief in the underlying reality. It is belief in the usefulness of believing. Wait a sec. <laughs> when belief does not control your most important decisions, when you're not acting it okay. out, you know, it is not belief in the underlying oh, reality. Yeah, yeah. It is belief in the usefulness of believing. Yeah. So if, if having a belief gets you what you want or gets you down the road, then you're fine, to, you're fine to believe it. But it's not really belief then, you know. It's not belief in the underlying reality. It's just belief that it's useful to have a belief. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. If I believe there's a heaven and a hell... Then, you know, that's useful for me to, let's say, uh, uh, adapt my behavior in a certain way, mm -hmm. right? And if I didn't have that belief, I'd have no reason to adapt my behavior in a certain way. It's interesting. That is interesting. Scott Adams for you. <laughs> All right. Next Roadmaps. One, next one's called Roadmaps. It goes like this. Religions are like different maps whose roots all lead to the collective good of society. Some maps take the follower over rugged terrain. Other maps have easier paths. Some of the travelers of each route will be assigned the job of being the protectors and interpreters of the map. They will teach the young to respect it and to be suspicious of other maps. <laughs> the young guy says, okay, uh, but who made the maps in the first place? The old man says, the maps were made by the people who went first and didn't die. The maps that survive are the ones that work. 
Yeah. <laughs> so this part here was what I thought you might actually like. So he's talking here about um, uh, religions are like maps, and some get you there the long way, some get you there the short way. We could talk about which religions you think are, are better paths to the truth, but what I think is interesting is he says, some of the travelers on, on each route will be assigned the job of being the protectors and the interpreters of the map. And so that's that's the priests, that's the, you know, the, the government, you know, that's the authorities that we put over to protect the sacredness of the map that we consider sacred because if you follow it, you'll get, you'll get where you need to go, you yeah. know. And then they teach you to be suspicious of other maps, right? So this is why people are suspicious of other cultures, suspicious of other religions, yep. not because they have any reason to other than that they know their map works and they don't want to fuck that up. And even though your map might be better than mine, yeah, yeah, can't risk it. I can't risk it. It's good. Isn't that interesting? It's probably, yeah, I like it. Scott Adams. Scott Adams. And also, this whole bit here about maps, uh, you can see I put maps of meaning here in the here in the quotes. This is directly something that that you know Jordan Peterson would have said. It's it's right up that alley. It's it's it is amazing how much this fits in with everything we talked about with like the the paganism and the yeah. the Christianity's relationship with it. Uh, it's good. That's interesting. Mm. What do you think about this idea here? Darwinism of ideas or maps. So if if you've got a map that's better than mine, um, and I'm suspicious of you, I never have an opportunity to see that your map's better than mine. Um, I can't adopt the better map. I can't evolve, you know, in, in a positive direction. Yeah. So there's something about that that keeps us from evolving. If we could share ideas, if we could be open-minded, uh, <coughs> you know, and we could borrow and adapt the things that are good from each other, yeah. we'd end up with better maps. Absolutely. You know? Ideas need to evolve, just like creatures need to evolve. I like that uh, idea. I've always liked that in, you know, not saying that the Mongols were like good guys or anything, but I do like the idea that they would, not only would they let you, and I think um, like the Norse were like this too, not only would they let you do practice your religion, but they would do like, I'll make a sacrifice to your God yeah. if it works for you. You know, it's like, why not? You know, just cast a bunch of fucking stones out there, you know? You know who else did that? Who? Alexander the Great. Yeah, yeah. I, that's that's interesting. It is. He he allowed the places he conquered to continue their own religions. He had he had, you know was perfectly fine with that. And those ancient Greeks that Hellenized the world, by the way, the birth of of Western civilization, um, they they had no problems at all recognizing gods from other other cultures. You know, uh, like like uh, I, don't, I don't know who it was Plato or whatever goes to Egypt and learns about the Egyptian gods, and then comes back talking about Ra like he's Zeus, and they have no problem. They have no problem doing that. Yeah, you know. I think that uh, being polytheistic, like, almost lubricates the mind for that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, because if you it's monotheistic, you're like, no, this is the guy. You know, uh, that's all. That's all nonsense. Uh, I might get this fact wrong, um, but I'm pretty sure it's the. Is it the Parthenon? The Parthenon's in Greece. The pa- Pantheon's in Rome. What? Uh, I don't. Whatever. The Parthenon. I'm pretty sure. Whatever the ancient Greek temple is that had had statues for all of the gods in it. Maybe they both do. I think they both do. Yeah. I think Pantheon is Greek, okay. but I don't know. I'm not. Well, there was a. The, the reason I bring it up is because they had all the statues of the of the gods there, and then they had one place that was called um, the uh, altar of the unknown god, because they didn't want to leave any of them out. Ooh. So they had they had the altar of the unknown god. How cool is that? That man? is cool. That I made the hair stand up on my arms, man. The unknown god—that's that's the god within, man. That's 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 the pantheist, you know, panpsychist truth. The unknown god. 
That's the God within. That's the that's the inability for you to realize that you are God. That's that's the that's the veil that that sh- that hides that truth from every human being. You know, the unknown God is closer to you than you can ever imagine. You know, and you don't know his name and you can't see his face. It's interesting, man. It's cool. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next one's called reincarnation, UFOs, and God. Oh man. You think this would be a this would be a better? Uh, I'd have more here, but I just got one. He says, your inability to see other possibilities and your lack of vocabulary are your brain's limits, not the universe's. Yep. And this is a way of saying that there are truths and facts and realities out there that, uh, that you can't understand and you can't know and you, maybe you can't observe. And it's not because they're not out there. It's because you're not sufficient to notice them. You're not, you know, the, the limitations are yours. They're not, you know, in the world. Yep. All right, now this brings us to the to the bit I thought you might like. The skeptic's disease. The skeptic's disease. It goes like this. Skeptics suffer from the skeptic's disease. The problem, of, the problem of being right too often. If you are proven to be right a hundred times in a row, no amount of evidence will convince you that you are mistaken in the hundred and first case. You will be seduced by your own apparent infallibility. Skeptics are not exempt from self-delusion. What do you think of that, man? Um. Yeah, I think that that I think that describes most skeptics anymore. To be honest with you, you see a lot of it now. Yeah. You see a lot of it today, especially with the uh, with COVID and the response to COVID and the public opinions about it. You have the science. You have the doctors who have who've, who have done a great deal and accomplished a great deal and have been right a lot, and so they think they're they're right always. Oh yeah, that's the maniacal arrogance that we always talk about. Mm-hmm. You see it with people who say our religion is the right religion. You see it with people that say our science is the right science. Our message is the right message. You're a fucking prick, man. You don't, You're a fucking prick. You know nothing, and you need to read Socrates. You know Socrates, the guy who said, "I know nothing," and the and the um, and the Greek uh, gods said the Socrates the the uh, not the Greek gods but the um, uh, the the oracle at Delphi said Socrates was the wisest man. Uh, you know the wisest among men. Why? Because he was the one that knew he knew nothing. Yeah. Right? And the, and the Oracle of Delphi did psychedelics, so. Absolutely. She knew what she was talking about. So, Fauci. <laughs> shout out to Fauci. So stupid. <laughs> shout out to Fauci. Yeah. Yeah, shout out to Fauci. Because he suffers from the skeptic's disease, man. Yeah, he's a, he's a piece of work, that guy. All right, there's one more, one more bit here. Go I heard ahead. that... Uh, oh, yeah. Well, no, I'll just say yeah, go it ahead. now. I heard that Fauci... Got schooled by Rand again. I didn't. I didn't actually see it or hear anything that was said. But yeah. I heard uh, it was it was good, but not as good as you think. Yeah, uh, no. The, the the thing about it was that Fauci was um, basically complaining that uh, right right to Rand's face that um, putting the pressure on him personally and asking him personal questions were making him a target to uh, for you know people's ire and that he was getting death threats and stuff like that. And he was basically saying, like, you know, as I, I don't want to answer these questions, and you're asking me the wrong questions, and it's it's now becoming a threat to my life as a way of getting Rand to shut up. Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, Rand Rand has gotten many death threats and actually got got beat Fucking up a. got beat up by his neighbor. Yeah. By his neighbor. And he was at that baseball game. Um, uh, wait a minute, maybe I'm conv- I'm confusing. Something else happened though, and then he was uh, attacked. Remember. Uh, that thing, him and his wife were like walking somewhere, and BLM protesters were threatening mm. them. 
Rand Paul has had a lot. I mean, legitimately a lot of shit. So and con- compare and contrast somebody like Rand Paul who goes through that and still gets up there and says and says what he believes, and someone like Fauci who gets a threat and didn't even didn't didn't get physically assaulted and goes out goes on t- uh, national television and tries to shame Rand Paul to get people to stop. Yeah. You know that's you know one of those f- figures is. Um, confident and brave and noble and one of them is cowardly and sheepish and and you know i'll let you decide which one's which yeah all right next the next paragraph here says the scientific approach also makes people think and act in groups they form skeptical societies and create skeptical publications they breathe each other's fumes Mm -hmm. and they demonize those who do not share their scientific methods because skeptics views are at odds with the majority of the world they become emotionally and intellectually isolated. That sort of environment is a recipe for cult thinking and behavior. Yep. He hit the nail on the head with that. No shit, man. Yep. And they pretend like it's everyone else that's behaving like that. So we call that an echo chamber, and that's what social media has created, you know? Yep. yep. And that brings us to extrasensory perception and luck. All right. Our ESP. Starts like this. Um, your, he says, the old man says, your thoughts do travel across space. The question is whether another person can decode the information. Okay, so this is the part in the book where the guy's starting to talk beyond science. Like you're starting to think maybe he's some kind of god and knows stuff that nobody else knows. Because he says, your thoughts do travel across space. Uh, the question is whether another person can decode them. The young, the young man says, how do thoughts travel across space? He says... When anything physical moves, it has a gravitational impact on every other object in the universe, instantly and across any distance. That impact is fantastically small, but is real. When you have a thought, it is coupled with a physical change in your brain that is specific to that thought, and it has an instant gravitational ripple effect through the entire universe. So this, remember, this is him talking about how ESP might be real. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he's talking about how something non-physical can, can uh, in, impact something physical. Um, that, you know, when you have a thought that's not physical, something changes physically in your brain. And that has a ripple effect through the entire cosmos. Any motion, right, because of gravity, any motion is going to have some infinitesimally small ripple effect. Because everything is entangled, it's just going to ripple through the entire cosmos. That's a really interesting way of looking, about, looking at it. That is... I don't know what I have to say about it, but it's interesting. It is pretty cool. The question is, can somebody decode it on the other side of the cosmos? Say I have a thought, creates a ripple effect, and 100 billion light years away, is is it possible somebody can decode that? You would have to, I mean, well, I don't know. I was going to say you would have to imagine, but I am imagining right now that it would be harder to interpret it the farther out you are you know like yeah. the closer you are the closer you are to the signal mm-hmm. the, the closer you are to that original vibration the uh the easier it, you would think that it would be to like kind of because otherwise it's so dispersed yeah. you know it's yeah, yeah. Uh, i just like the language you said uh closer the closer you get to the to the source of the vibration it just makes me think of the creation of the cosmos yeah. and it makes me think of a mystic experience you know that's as close as you can get you know yeah. um so i know it's not with the path you were treading but that's what that's what I can <laughs> that's see where it. my mind went it's interesting yeah. all right we got two more two more uh, categories this one's called esp and pattern recognition 
What was the last one? ESP and what? ESP and luck. Luck, okay. All right, here we go. Math geniuses often report knowing the answers to problems without being aware of having made a calculation. The top geniuses in every field report the same experience. At the highest levels of performance, people are not aware of the processes they are using. The subconscious calculations of their minds happen so fast they don't register as memories. It seems as if the answers just arrive. And then he adds, the entertainment and news media create patterns in the public's mind. So I, I know that's that's disjointed, that last bit, but um, uh, but what do you think of that? You- I think that that part, the first part, math geniuses often report knowing the answers to problems without being aware of having made a calculation. Uh, that's super interesting to me that it's like um, they've been thinking about this thing for so long um, that it's not like they have like a, oh, you know, um, uh, or maybe they do have that oh moment, but it's not necessarily that they're like like in the middle of a calculation. Something just like falls into place and they're like, mm. I, I get it. And then they like do all of that afterwards mm. to make it make sense. That's you know what I mean? I think it was Carl Jung who said something like this. He said, something is thinking in me. He said, it feels like something is thinking in me. And that's, that's the idea that religious people say when they talk about spirits. But they're psychological. They're, they're, they're in you, but they sort of seem like they're not. And that, this is what it reminds me of. It's like unconsciously, this, this guy's brain is doing the math. He's not aware of the calculation because it's being done unconsciously but he's suddenly aware of the answer, you know? Something is thinking in him, and then the answer is, oh, is, is, is present to him. And it makes me think, like, this is hippy-dippy, but it makes me think of something like the Akashic Record, you know? If, if what's thinking in him is this unconscious process, it's like dipping into the T-1000 Terminator 2 static of objective reality, you know, that's doing the calculation, and then the answer just comes to you like a revelation you know that's that's it's a religious sort of thing that 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 he's describing as far as i'm concerned uh, get, knowing the knowing the answer to a math problem without being aware of doing the calculation is like a revelation is it not it is <laughs> i would call that a revelation see i think the unconscious is is god i think the uh, i think that's just another word uh for god uh, i think the unconscious is the same thing i, I talk about when i say potentiality or, or whatever objective reality is. Um, and I think when I said, uh, the, you know, like, I, I used to call it the unknown part of the self. It's like yourself is you, with all the stuff you're aware of and know, but it's also this vast thing that you aren't aware of. It's still part of you. You just don't realize it. And that's the God part, you know. That's the unconscious. I, I, I don't know that I have it all well thought out, but I believe that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for some reason, every time you mention the T one thousand Terminator two substance, I keep thinking of you. Remember, and I think it was the third one, Terminator three, that it was like a hot chick was the bad guy. Yeah. She was wearing like a red leather suit. Yeah, it's fucking stupid. That image comes right to my mind too. I just isn't that weird? Some things you can't remember for the life of you, but the image of that of that woman comes right to my mind. Yeah, from like nineteen ninety. Whenever, whenever that movie came no, out. No, it was later than that. 95. But. I don't know. All right, so this last bit is called The Fifth Level. The Fifth Level. Fifth Level. All right. The old man says, Awareness is about unlearning. 
It is the recognition that you don't know as much as you thought you knew. Yeah, I like That's that. That's brilliant. Yeah. It's like knowledge is like that. Learning something new is not learning something new. It's learning where you were wrong before. Fucking That's a. the truth, man. It's like you're you're chipping away all the bullshit and leaving away leaving the truth in intact. That's what learning is. <laughs> Awareness is about unlearning, he says. That's great. Uh, he says um he described what he calls and this is I think this is the ne- the kind of narration by the young man he says he described what he called the fi- five levels of awareness and said that all humans experience the first level at birth that is when you first become aware that you exist in the second level you understand that other people exist you believe most of what you are told by authority figures you accept accept the belief systems in which you were raised at the third level, you recognize that humans are often wrong about the things they believe. You feel that you might be wrong about some of your beliefs, but you don't know which ones. The fourth level is skepticism. You believe the scientific method is the best measure of what is true, and you believe you have a good working grasp of truth, thanks to science, your logic, and your senses. <coughs> you are arrogant when it comes to dealing with people in levels two and three. The fifth level is the avatar. The avatar understands that the mind is an illusion generator, not a window to reality. The avatar recognizes science as a belief system, albeit a useful one. An avatar is aware of God's power as expressed in probability and the inevitable recombination of God consciousness. Um, That's good. It is good. He's like, I mean, I would say that I have experienced that roadmap that he just laid out. Yes. Pretty, pretty... To the T, to be honest with you. It's good. You know what's even better about that? When this young, in the beginning of the book, when the young man meets the old man, he's, he's delivering a package. Yeah. And when he comes to the door, he says, I have a package for Mr. Avatar. Oh. So he, this guy is, he's is there. the fifth level. Yeah. Gotcha. Which reminds me of the movie The Fifth Element. Remember that movie? Yeah, yeah. Good one. Lilu. Lilu. All right. So he goes on. He says, awareness does not come from receiving new information. It comes from rejecting old information. Beautiful. Happiness comes more easily at other levels. Awareness has its price. An avatar can find happiness only in serving. So let's let's dissect this a little bit. The fact that you go through these levels and that at, at each level maybe you find it more and more difficult to be happy, especially if you take like the skeptic level, level four, if you just can't believe anything, you're just skeptical about everything how hard it is you can imagine like if you're a nihilistic person in your early 20s and you've given you've, you've given up religion you've given up you know I don't know what, what, you can just try to paint that picture for yourself how much more difficult it is to be happy than if you were just sort of one of these lower level people swallowing everything everyone tells you you never have to question anything you just believe what your what your, what your parents teach you is real and, and uh, you never have to question it you know you're going to be one of those dumb happy people um, satisfied to just yep. eat cake. Well, I mean, <laughs> let's not let's not underrate eating cake here. <laughs> but I get you. And then, what do you think about his his thing about once you once you become enlightened? Let's say once you become the fifth level avatar, then the only thing that make that you can find happiness in is serving. What do you think that means? I don't know. Part of me thinks that it's. Uh, like lofty, you know, 
not that it's bullshit, really, but just that it's like, uh, I don't know, that it sounds nice. It does. You kind of see the Jesus thing in it. Sure. You know, like Jesus washing the feet of his apostles and giving up all his belongings and you know, asking his apostles to do that. But serving, you know, serving others. Um, what, what it makes me think of is, like, why would you... If you got to a point where you could only feel happiness by doing good to others, like there are some people that says would say that's a good all by itself. Sure. What I what I say is it's it's not a good all by itself unless you, or at least not as good as recognizing why it is that that's the case. Why is it that you can find satisfaction from being kind to others? Why is that like such a unique, satisfying type of, of thing? It's because you recognize that you and the person you are serving are the same. It's about recognizing the oneness of reality. It's about the mystic experience. It's about realizing everything is consciousness, everything is God. And if I'm serving you, it's like, well, you're doing that to yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. Recognizing that there is no difference, um, you know, between between doing something for yourself and doing something for someone else. It's the same. That's, That's where my mind goes. All right. I, uh, another thing is, I guess it says an avatar can find happiness only in serving. And I guess that does mean something specific. It's not just like, uh, I mean, obviously you can find satisfaction or pleasure, uh, other ways, but happiness, that, that means something specific. See, that's actually a great example of what we just talked about a little bit earlier about the cloud of associations Mm -hmm. and how words don't have meaning because happiness is an interesting word. It's one. Of, it's a good example, and you just did your cloud of associations. You're like, ha, you know, in this case, happiness might mean satisfaction. It might yeah. mean what? What else did you say? Uh, pleasure. Pleasure, exactly. Yeah. But what does what, what does satisfaction mean? What does pleasure mean? They only refer to other words. Yeah. You know, it's like they mean like happy and satiated and good. Well, what does that mean? And eventually, what do you what do you say? You it, just it means. You, you, you run out of words. Yeah, you just got to like have to be like, you know what I mean, man. <laughs> <laughs> and you do. That's the thing. You do. Yep. That's true. That's the interesting most thing about... Most of the time, anyways. You have like time. a pretty close understanding of what they mean. Yeah. Yeah, nobody understands what we mean when we start talking about the Terminator 2 T-1000 yeah. substance in the background of reality. It is crazy how much people... How close we can be, though. You know what I mean? Like describing things, and you know exactly what I mean yep. for the most part. It's just pretty cool. But because you can never be inside someone else's head, you never really know, no. man. No, nope. maybe don't. they don't know what you mean. That's true. We'll never know. And that's yeah, that's that's the hard problem of consciousness. So we're gonna save that for another episode. Uh, all right, let me finish this bit. He says, sometimes society's delusions get out of balance, and when they conflict, emotions flame out of control. People die. If enough people die, God's recombination is jeopardized. When that happens, the avatar steps in. So I just refresh the memory of the audience, this whole thing about God's recombination. The whole point of this book, God's Debris, is that God blew himself up in the Big Bang, trying to see if he could destroy himself. And all of the bits and pieces of God became material reality. And what they're doing is slowly forming back into God. So that's kind of the end game, apparently. That's the cycle of, you know, death and rebirth the cosmic cycle and um and then there's like a political thing here a political uh lean he's saying sometimes society's delusions get out of balance and when they conflict emotions flame out of control uh, shit i mean you can see that going on right now people die and if enough people die uh you know that's going to 
interfere with God's plan, something like that, sure. the larger plan of the universe. Uh, and then the avatar steps in, and that's like this great philosopher, or you know, that's like the Plato, the Jesus, the the Buddha of the world who shows up to get people back on the right path. That's the last sentence. Um, I guess the last you know three sentences from uh people die if enough people die god's recombination is jeopardized when that happens the avatar steps in that all might be like a little bit much for me um it's theatrical yeah yeah well i just think that like this idea that if enough people die god's recombination is jeopardized i don't know that i necessarily agree with that um i think i think what he's saying is that that, that it's necessary for people to stop killing each other at some point. Otherwise, everything stops. You know. Otherwise, this whole conscious thing journey that we've been on for you know billions. Does it though? Well, according to according to the Avatar in this book, it does. Okay. Well, fair enough. <laughs> but that's that's a, that's a good question too. And actually, I don't think that it does. Yeah, I don't either. Because you know, if you're a, if you're a panpsychist or you have that point of view, you think everything is conscious. And even if everything goes away, consciousness isn't gone. It's, yeah. It just exists in this state of this state of non-being. It just it still exists. You know, it's the vacuum energy. It's whatever you want to call it. Um, that's still conscious, and yeah. and you know, it will eventually cause matter and energy and physical laws to reemerge. It's it's hard for me to talk about because it's like, on some level, I don't think that human beings are like in this. I don't think that human beings are anything like special really like uh, I, but, but that's right. not true because I do think we are in some in some kind of weird way mm-hmm. I do think that we are but if we just like got rid of all the human life I don't know maybe there's like higher consciousness out there than human beings you know like some For planet sure. in a galaxy it's like way more you For know sure. uh, so who knows maybe it wouldn't be that big of a loss if we lost humanity um, no, I'm with you but who knows yeah uh, as things stand though I, that's why it's hard to talk about because I do think that humans are kind of special. We're like, there's definitely seems like something more complex about our consciousness than other whatever forms of consciousness you can find. Unquestionably. So, yeah, so at least special in, in our, you know, point of reference, you know, yeah. what we can compare to. Um, all right, let me push through the rest of this here. Uh, let's see. Here we go. All right, so he says the avatar steps in, and the, and the young man says, how? And the old man says, you can't wake yourself from a dream. You need someone who's already awake to shake you gently, to whisper in your ear. In a sense, that is what I do. And I think that's, I think so that's great, man. The mask comes off. Yeah, it's like you need someone who's gone before you. You need somebody who's already enlightened to show you the way to be you become need Morpheus, enlightened. Morpheus, bro. You need Morpheus. Maybe you need a religious leader. I don't know. Maybe you need a guru. You need Morpheus. You need Morpheus. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Then he says, the great leaders in this world are always the least rational among us. They exist at the second level of awareness. Charismatic leaders have a natural ability to bring people into their delusion. They convince people to act against self-interest and pursue the leader's vision of the greater good. Logic is a detriment to leadership. Ideas are the only things that can change the world. The rest is details. What do you think, Ben? Go back down. Um, the great leaders in the world are the least rational among us. 
Yeah, because they, he says they, they pull the dumb peoples, the dummies, the level twos, they pull them into their delusion. They make them adopt their picture of reality so they can no longer think for themselves. That's, that's pretty good. That's exactly what they do. Yeah. That's why, that's why the, the political camps have done such a good job of putting us into two boxes, you know? Because it's easier to just adopt somebody else's view, and some of us want, seem to want it. Yep. They convince people to act against their self-interest and pursue the leader's vision. It's good. You think all the, the, the regular everyday Germans wanted, wanted to, f wanted to f fulfill Hitler's visions, but he, convin he convinced them to. There's no, there's no denying that. But would they have wanted to do that with, in the absence of Hitler? Fucking no way. Yeah. No way. It's true. Then he says logic is a detriment to leadership, which is sort of an interesting statement because he's not talking about leaders in a good way. Yeah. He's saying these leaders are the ones that are duping people to adopt their own their ideas as their own, and that logic is actually a detriment to that. If people thought logically, um, you know, they, they wouldn't be able to simply adopt blindly adopt somebody else's viewpoints. Like, wait a minute, is this yeah. authentic to me? Is this real? Yeah. The um, trouble is, I think, um, you know, a lot of times these people will, these uh, what's the word I'm looking? These leaders, I guess. Uh, they they will like seize on an issue that is like you know makes sense to people. Um, so yeah. I think that there's it, yeah. The question is how much sense how much sense does it make, or is it that is it is it that it makes sense, or is it that they're convincing them it makes sense? No. So I think that a lot of times what I'm saying is that I think that a lot of times uh, these people who become these political leaders, dictators, whatever, they kind of come to power talking about an issue that like people feel mm -hmm. and that like really makes sense to them. And then it has to get all of this other stuff. You know, th it's got all this baggage that comes with it. Yeah. This like nationalist, uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, you know what that reminds me of? What's that? Um, People people will say that if you want to fool somebody or convince somebody that you're being honest or, or authentic, that what you do is you put in little bits of truth, little you pepper in a little bit of truth in all your bullshit. Yeah. And people will pick up on the truth and they'll recognize that it, that it it resonates with them as truth, and they'll just buy all the baggage right right along with it. You yeah. know, so like oh, it, for sure that it, makes it, sense. It comes up in like with people like in those murder mystery shows where people are talking about their alibis. It's yeah. like it need, you know it needs to come off as authentic, so you sprinkle in as much of the truth as you can afford to do. It even goes over better on a lie detector test. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Even the way people, the way people behave, like they'll look, uh, they'll look up, or they'll look down when they're trying to think, and oh, these yeah. these psychologists have figured out that if you look down, uh, you're more more likely recollecting. You're more likely pu pulling memories. If you look up, you're more than likely inventing them. Things like that. Um, that's interesting, man. It is interesting. Um, I was going to say something else. What the fuck was it? I don't know. All right, how do we wrap this bitch up, man? I'm sorry. I, I, no, uh, no, you're good. Uh, I don't know. What, what? You got anything else? Um, not not really, man. We, we, I mean, we didn't really get to talk much about seeing Ari Shafir last night. No, that we was, didn't. But, uh, you know, it was a good time, and I'm really... Was, yeah. I felt a little bit like a like a teenager because I'm like in a car full of dudes you know yeah. it's like when was the last time I was in a car full of dudes going to do something you know on a Saturday night uh, I'm a married man with kids it doesn't happen so I just felt like 
it was cool to do, man. Yep. The good comedy. I mean, Adrian Lapalucci was the uh, the not the opener, the the feature, I guess. She was funny as hell. Yeah, absolutely. Ari was funny as hell. Ari was funny as hell. Yeah. Um, the guy who opened was pretty good too. Yeah. John, what was his name? Uh, John Armstrong, I think. Yeah, I'm bad with names. Good yeah. with faces, bad with names. Yeah. All um, funny. Yeah. All right, you guys. That was it. That's the recap of Ari. That's our conversation uh, until we meet again. Peace out, y'all. Well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know. It's not easy work. Thinking. It's hard and full of uncertainties, but I'm grateful for the company as we trek through this together. Here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze. See what I did there? Let's find out together in the next episode. Thank you.